Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. Find us on Twitter at Political Beats, also over on Facebook. Subscribe to our feed for new episodes through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or NationalReview.com. Click on the podcast link there, find everything. Also direct you over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash politicalbeats. Support us and help the show stay ad-free as it is right now. We have entry level for your support and some voting privileges, mid-level for early access to all of our shows and at a higher audio quality, and then our upper-level best friends for early access, the higher audio quality, monthly exclusive content shows, which are fantastic, if we say so ourselves, remastered episodes, playlists, much more, over at patreon.com slash politicalbeats. My name is Scott Bertram. Find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. My tag team partner standing by, as always, Jeff Blair. Jeff, how are you? Well, Scott, I was feeling pretty good until I stumbled out of bed today, stepped on one of my son's Legos, ran into the door with my head, walked into the bathroom mirror, looked into my bathroom mirror and saw my eyebrows. Did you know that eyebrows turn white? I look like Santa Claus right now. And then I thought everything was still going to be all right until I sat down for breakfast. And there my wife was with a big bowl and a smile in her hands. And what was it she was feeding me? Sauerkraut. I heard it's good for you. We'll find out more about that later. At Esoteric CD on Twitter for Jeff. And our guest on today's program is a comedian and political satirist you might know from Reason TV. He's the host of The Political Orphanage, a funny policy analysis show for people tired of tribalism. You can find it linked in his uh, Twitter uh, feed and bio at Mighty Heaton, or it's linked at andrewheaton.tv. And appropriately, appropriately enough, our guest is in fact named Andrew Heaton. Andrew, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me here. Take a couple minutes here and tell us about the political orphanage and what you do. Thank you very much. I would love to. So uh, I host a podcast called The Political Orphanage, so-called because I am an independent and I am very tired of constant red team versus blue team analysis of everything in the world. Uh, and so for people that are more independently minded or perhaps members of a party but disenfranchised or libertarian or just like hearing things outside of an echo chamber, I have designed the political orphanage for you. And because I am legally a comedian, I make it pithy and amusing as well. So I commend everybody to check it out. And thankfully today, we don't have to worry about any of that stuff because we all, all of us, red, white, blue, whatever, can come together and enjoy and appreciate the music of our featured artist today, a guy named Weird Al Yankovic. We were talking off here. We all come at this from slightly different perspectives. This is going to be a fun program. We first turn. Uh, oh, the by microphone. the way, Scott, yes, I want to Jeff. point out that this is quite possibly one of our most requested episodes. It's close. Uh, Van Morrison is near the top. Uh, strangely, Red Hot Chili Peppers is near the top. But Weird Al no. also very close. The, I mean, that is the trinity of American <laughs> music, right? It's Red Hot Chili Peppers, Van Morrison, and Weird Al. If we were going to make a Mount Rushmore of people that have affected music forever, those three should be on it. Surely, <laughs> surely there's nobody more American than Van Morrison. I mean, Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, go ahead, Jeff. No, 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 Scott. What were you I, I was going to turn it over to Andrew so he can explain to us yes. uh, why he loves Weird Al, how he found out about the music, and why people should care about it. So, okay, so Weird Al, for me, I, I have not, I have to say, I haven't thought about him tremendously in the last few years, 
because Weird Al was so pivotal to me as a middle schooler. And I'm, I'm going to make the case, I think Weird Al is the perfect musical comedian for a middle schooler because so much of the humor, it, it's very random. It's, I, I don't want to say it's anti-authoritarian, but it's chaotic and you don't know where it's going to come from, which is just beguiling when you are a 13-year-old a boy. Plus, uh, with his discography, he's going through all of these billboard hits that me as a dorky 13-year-old didn't know. I didn't have MTV growing up. I actually, I got exposed to most pop culture through Weird Al. I heard most pop culture music via him, and then later would listen to it and go, hey, these sound like Weird Al. As I walk through the valley where I harvest my grain, I take a look at my wife and realize she's very plain. But that's just perfect for an Amish like me. You know I shun fancy things like electricity. At 4.30 in the morning, I'm milking cows. Jebediah feeds the chickens and Jacob plows. Fool, and I've been milking and plowing so long that even Ezekiel thinks that my mind is gone. I'm a man of the land, I'm into discipline. Got a Bible in my hand and a beard on my chin. But if I finish all of my chores and you finish thine, then tonight we're gonna party like it's 1699. We've been spending most our lives living in an So, uh, so Weird Al, I fell into as a kid. He was the first concert I ever went to. The first musical concert I ever attended was a Weird Al concert that came through Oklahoma City. And I, oddly enough, fell in love with Weird Al's lyrics before I heard any of the songs. I was getting, I, I distinctly remember this. I was at McDonald's with my best friend in high school who was regaling my father and I with Weird Al lyrics from, running, uh, from uh, Bad Hair Day. And we're just you know, guffawing at the hilarity of these lyrics. It would be some weeks before I was able to obtain a Weird Al CD. Because remember, this is before streaming services exist. And, and I'm in Oklahoma. And so I, like, I, I, I'm hearing these lyrics and laughing about them uh, as recitative spoken outward poetry. And then eventually we go to the mall. And I'm like, I got to find this guy. I got to find this Weird Al guy. And, and, and buy the album. I, I think uh, it might have been... Um, Running with Scissors. I think that was the first album I bought. But in any event, uh, I, I today, Weird Al is no longer a huge part of my life, but he was a foundational element for me in my burgeoning middle school humor. And I'm curious as to in what ways that has affected so many of us as we move on, both on our musical and our comedic tastes. Okay, uh, uh, Heaton, Mr. Heaton, in yes. fact. <clears throat> Just the, 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 the chair recognizes you. Thank you. You know, we joked. He's like, you know, does he want to be called Andy or Andrew? He said, "Call me Mr. Heaton if you're angry." Yes, exactly. <laughs> good. I'm, well, I'm glad we got that out of the way. Now I know we're fighting. And Carl, right, Jeffrey, no, Carl. I'm not. I'm not fighting at all. Actually, no. This is so wonderful. I just want to establish for the audience: you were clearly born a generation ahead of both Scott and I. We were born in 1980. So when were you 13? I and mean, when were you in middle school? In other words, I I was born in '84. Okay. So I, I am I am enjoying middle school in that uh, there's such a slim amount of people that got to have this wonderful wonderful experience I had, where we we were born just early enough that we remembered the fall of the Soviet Union hmm. and we're like woohoo we did it good job Kittimer's exploded the Klingons are on their knees they're going to be buddies with us now but we haven't <laughs> had 9/11 yet like I, I did like during the same period of my life I've been in middle school I also remember sitting down and like having this discussion this little forum 
of 13-year-olds where we're like, hey, this is awesome. We won. Everyone loves America <laughs> and recognizes that whatever we are is the way of the future. Russia's going to be us. Like, everything's great, right? And, and scene. Yep. And that's, and it, and and that's that was, how it played out. It's and that forever the, and ever. And that was the end of the story. <laughs> so, so it's so great because, yes, I'm going to get back to this. I, yeah, I'm, I'm in middle school in the late 90s. I get I get to high school in aught. Uh, no, I graduate high school in aught three. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Uh, uh, but I'm, I'm yeah. in the late 90s. I'm in middle school. Okay, Scott, now you go. So I don't want to belabor this too much because we have a lot to get to in our time today. Uh, but Weird Al has never not been a part of my life, essentially. Um, well, you're his roommate. So that, of course, right. that makes sense. <laughs> but from, from, from very, very young, uh, usually I talk about the way my dad has influenced my musical tastes. Weird Al was a choice of my mom. Uh, remember her listening to Weird Al on the radio and, uh, and, and, and getting the, uh, the, the even worse cassette from the library when it came out in uh, what, around 1989. And so it's actually my that, mom. That is the most musically dorky thing I've ever heard. Well, I'll top I, you soon. Don't I, worry. I, I got a, an audio cassette of Weird Al from, from the, the library. library at the behest of my mother. It's something that Weird uh, Al I, would I'm sing filled about. I'm with joy hearing that. <laughs> never not he's never not been around he's never not been a part i saw i was one of the few to actually buy a ticket to see uhf in the theater i went with oh. my grandparents in fact uh and so that movie that soundtrack those parodies have always been around and have a very very uh, uh large part in my heart um I, you know a few things we'll talk about uh, throughout the day uh, is is you know his his work not just as as an audio but also in video through the movie, through videos on MTV. Uh, the fact that his artistic choices, his artistic uh, tastes are really impeccable. If you go through the past 40 years or so of his work and find the songs that didn't last, didn't work, um, there are very few. Um, and I'll talk about this, especially in the, with, the, with the first album coming up in just a little bit. So I, I want to get to that. Um, but something almost every Weird Al fan will tell you, and I'll tell you here, is... Yes, he's known for his parodies, and he's known for Eat It and Fat and Smells Like Nirvana. But when you dig into the albums and work through his collection, uh, the quality of the originals and the pastiches in which he, he pays tribute. And again, there's essentially four types of Weird Al songs. The straight parodies, the originals that really, really have nothing to do with anything, uh, the pastiches where he's trying to pay tribute to an artist he loves, and then the polkas. Uh, but those originals and those pastiches are so so good and the polkas uh, are good the polkas are good they're all good <laughs> but i i think people who are drawn into weird al by the parodies can be surprised by how good these other songs are on the albums we'll talk about that and very 
uh, prominently up front, I want to give credit to uh, our nation's preeminent Weird Al expert, uh, Nathan Rabin, who uh, used to write for AV Club and now writes at his own site. Um, I, th- I thought it was Clarence Thomas, but it's, it's Nathan no. Rabin? It's Nathan Rabin, in fact. Oh, okay. Uh, good, he good. has written uh, with Al, Al's biography, essentially, and he has written an incredible book called The Weird Accordion to Al, essentially walking through all the songs in his career, 170, 180, whatever it is. And uh, I read the book. I know I have absorbed and incorporated a lot of what he's written into comments today, though I I can't say specifically what is and what isn't. So I'm sure a good part of what I say today will have been uh, interpreted through the eyes of Nathan Rabin. I recommend the book, The Weird Accordion to Al. It's fantastic. Jeff, this is all new to you, mostly new to you. And I think we turned you into a fan. Uh, Well... Scott, I really don't know what to say to you. All I can really tell you is that this has been quite the personal journey. <laughs> this, this episode, uh, as fans of the show will know, is one that I have been long reluctant to book. And I realize now that one of the reasons for that is that I've been fighting against my own childhood. So let's go back to childhood. Let's go back to the early trauma, the pain. It's not trauma or pain. What it is is the reality that when I was a kid, Weird Al meant a ton to me as well. I knew eat it. I knew fat, but I do more than that. I, I told I told Andrew here that I was going to top him. I so that I got <laughs> Dare to Be Stupid from the library on cassette tape, and I played this. I played it so much that they gave it to me. The Potomac Library said this tape is <laughs> worthless. You can keep it now because I, I, I also had like a chewing habit. I chewed through like the little you know the liner notes, um, but like That's I knew gross. every note. <laughs> I, I, was, I was seven, man. Listen, I was a weird kid. The point is, is that that song, that album, that entire style almost in a weird way helped to orient me. As a chaotic child, I didn't really understand his own mind. I found weirdness. I found pastiche. I found this weird pop cultural sponge that sort of like collapsed everything that was you know coming through the television set and the radio into something. Oh, and here it's all funny, too, and there are gags. There's good music, and it relates also to stuff that I've heard on the radio. When you're a young child, you do not separate out these things. You don't make critical distinctions. You don't make anything other than, oh, this makes me feel good, and I like to tell it to my friends at the bus stop. to me in the 80s and then even in the 90s he was always there it was almost you know hilarious how we just continually resurface like he disappear for several years and all of a sudden boom there he is doing a nirvana parody and everyone's laughing about how like you know he's ripping some mannequin's head off in the in the chorus you see you know it's all of this stuff came back again and again 
but as an adult, I have had a resistance to doing this episode because I don't know where to put Weird Al in the music world. Is he a musician? Well, he's a musician. Is, he, is it art or is it kitsch is the, the thing I keep coming back to. And I would have started this episode blind by saying it's kitsch. Uh, you, if you, even if you're writing really witty parodies, you're imitating somebody else's art, you're trend hopping, you're doing this or that. I end this episode by saying, no, this is art, but it is a weird and uncategorizable form of art. Whatever the hell it was that Weird Al was up to, living on the margins of like pop success with his own ideas, but he knew like, I'm a nerdy guy, you know, who, you know, I mean, look at him. Uh, he, that guy's not a pop star, but I have talent, I have ideas, and I have creativity. How can I do something with it? He managed to not only make a living, he made art with it at the end of the day. And what actually impresses me the most about this career is that, you know, he stopped making albums, but he didn't really let up. There's no noticeable deterioration in his abilities. So as I said, we'll unpack it all, but let's, let's, let's start with the crap. Let's start with the stuff that sucks. So Scott, this is, your, this is what you're for. You know, we deputize you. I've got to set up the first album. And, yeah, uh, you got to set up the album no one likes. Uh, a little, I don't know that stuff that no one likes. It, it is an outlier in, in the catalog. So very, I, have, I, I have ridden the bus, and I have thought when another one gets on, I'm like, oh, crap. But beyond that, nah. So very early. So Al is, Al is a super smart. Um, he was two years ahead of the other kids in school. He's super nice. There are essentially no bad stories about him in Hollywood or in the music industry. And he's also super clean, right? There's, there's no, there's some, there's some adult type jokes that make it through, but will sail over the heads of kids. And there's no swearing, profanity, etc. So, he starts out. He's, he's, uh, he, he's an architecture student at California Polytechnic State University, and uh, before that, uh, Doctor Demento had visited his high school, and he slipped, uh, Al slipped him a tape with a few songs on it, and that song was played on the Doctor Demento show. And Doctor Demento has a big part of a weird's, uh, Weird Al's career. And how it got started, because that's that's of course where those songs first get played. You know, you didn't even explain it because you assume people understand. But Doctor yes. Demento yeah. is a radio DJ. He's kind of syndicated radio DJ. Had like a show, and it was you know known for being very off kilter, off the hook, wacky, weird. Mm -hmm. Give you kind of like good, strange music, good, strange comedy, that kind of a thing. You hear that's how it, you know, like fish heads from barns and barns, and those exactly. just weird oddities on the program. And Al was drawn to it. His mom didn't want him listening, but he did anyway and eventually got again dr demento some tapes a few songs were played but the big breakthrough comes in 1979 when the knack had a big song on the radio my sharona weird al goes into his uh restroom across the hall from the college radio station where he was working with his accordion and records a parody called my bologna
talk about that in a minute because it's also on the first uh, album. The Knacks lead singer Doug Figer helps get uh, him a, a deal, a record deal, and, and it helps get the song released. About a year later, he's got the idea for another song, Another One Rides the Bus. And this one he performs live on the Dr. DeBento show. He meets a guy there who becomes his longtime drummer, John Bermuda Schwartz. Still is the drummer in the band. In fact, his band has been together since 1982. 40 years, same four guys in Weird Al's band. And another They're one, like the old 97s. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and another one rides the bus, becomes a Dr. Demento hit. He even performed it on The Tomorrow Show with Tom Snyder. And that, eventually, leads to a actual, real, record deal. And that's the debut album, Weird Al Yankovic, in 1983, which includes both of those singles, My Bologna and Another One Rides the Bus. And Jeff is not a big fan of this album. It is an outlier in a few ways that we'll talk about, but I... We'll turn it back over to our special guest, Andrew Heaton, to begin the conversation. Likes, dislikes, and observations on this debut album, Andrew. Well, I want to back up a little bit further and say just how happy I am that Weird Al turns out to be a nice guy. Uh, <laughs> when, Wouldn't when it be whole... awful if he was like, would be... if he was R. Kelly or something yeah, like that? Yeah, he's just, he's, he's got a sex cult, he's peeing on these girls that live, yeah, it'd be, all, it'd be horrible. I feel like my, my childhood would be ripped up. When, when, the, when the avalanche of Me, Me Too allegations came out, you know, here four or five years ago, uh, I think it was the day that uh, Kevin Spacey went down. The best tweet on the internet was just someone apropos of nothing said, please just let Weird Al be a nice guy. <laughs> and that was it. And I was like, yep. So I'm very glad to hear that's the case. I, I What I'm struck by is, I, you know, with all of these biographies, they we, we flush out a lot of um, a lot of the superfluous details. So I'm, I'm sure that uh, he was probably had a bit more ambition and and work ethic uh, th- that is being let on. But from what we know so far, it, it sounds so incredibly serendipitous that he had this early success and this fairly meteoric success. I mean, it, it, like Dr. Demento came to his high school and he gave him an audio cassette. <laughs> and Dr. Demento's like, this is pretty good. I'm going to put this on the radio. That, that I didn't have a guy come to my high school. Uh, maybe he did. I mean, if he came to my high school, he was probably talking about abstinence-only education. But I, I don't think we yeah, have. Yeah, that's because you like lived that. in Oklahoma. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm from I'm, I'm from 1952 functionally, uh, and uh, um, yes, yeah, so he he's off to a, an amazing start, and then he, he works in uh, radio, which seems to be the best thing he could possibly do. Like this this kind of um, this kind of musical humor, I think different now in the age of the internet, but back then worked better in kind of funky am radio off kilter times you could really build up a following and so he went where he needed to go i'll say this this album is not good i don't like the parodies i don't even think the originals are that good you know what we'll talk about you're going to hear this over and over again it's the breakdown between like the direct song parodies and then the stuff that he's actually written himself but even here he's like you know he's a kid all right it doesn't work what is actually notable is that this is the same framework that every single album he will ever release from here until the end of time will take. You've got famous hits that were on the radio that you've known for the past two years. You've got stuff that sounds like something, but it isn't directly a parody of. And then you've got Weird Al doing maybe two of his own songs. Now, I have to say the reason I always thought of Weird Al as a novelty act and why I resisted having him on the show is stuff like My Baloney or uh, My Bologna or um, Gotta Make It Rhyme. Rides. 
yet. Right, my bologna, which is nobody <laughs> says that, right? But it reminds me of this stuff literally. But I mean, we were inspired by Weird Al as well. But we came up with our own stuff like this in elementary school. When I was a kid, we came up with yellow, white garbanzo bean. We all live in yeah. a white garbanzo bean, you know, and we live <laughs> underneath the soil of green. We did the same thing, but it's so childish. It's so simple. And it's almost like word for word, like replacement of things. There's, yeah. there, there, it isn't even that clever. That's a suitcase poking me in the ribs. That's an elbow in my ear. That's a smelly old bum standing next to me. He hasn't showered in a year. Well, I think I'm missing a contact lens. I think my wallet's gone. And I think this bus is stopping again. Let a couple more freaks get on. Look out! Another one rides a bus. Another one rides a bus. And another comes on. And another comes on. Another one rides a bus. Hey, he's gonna sit by you. Another one rides a bus. And if this had been what Weird Al was, then, and I think a lot of people, unfortunately, myself even until we did the show, thought this is essentially what he was, then he wouldn't have been worth the show. This wouldn't have been worth it. But this is just so early for him. And I think immediately, the next album, he's a different artist. Absolutely. But here, there's no polka, right? And so that is added to the uh, to the uh, collection starting with the next album. But there are a few things here to, to, to note. He's playing the accordion on every song, and that goes away very quickly uh, t- to the point where he uses it just on polkas or just where it's needed to sort of add uh, that, that Which element. I regret, incidentally. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an Arcade Fire fan. How could I you know, object to accordions? I think they're just a wonderful instrument. Uh, he's not he's not confident in his voice on this album whatsoever. He's trying on all these different sort of ways to get across and, and, and at some points intentionally annoying, right? Because the other point to make here is that the album is almost uh, almost all in the novelty section and not necessarily the comedy section, if you can make that delineation. Mm. There is no there's no knowledge yet that this is going to be a sustainable career for a 23-year-old Al. I can't stand the smell of incense. I don't really like to jog. No Joni Mitchell eight tracks in the car. I hate anything organic. Even health food makes me sick. You won't catch me sipping Perrier down in some sushi bar. I tell you, now's the time to go for all the gusto. As Jeff said, there are all sorts of signposts of what's going to come. Yes, you have these 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 songs that are straight parodies. You have the pastiches. They'd be a little more uh, uh, a little more obvious on future albums. But you have the obsession with food. Uh, I love Rocky Road. You have the obsession with TV and pop culture turning uh, Mickey into into Ricky. And think about the song choices he makes to parody here on the first album. My Sharona, another one bites the dust. I love rock and roll. Mickey. Stop dragging my heart around. At that point, you can't know 40 years into the future that those songs are going to be the ones that endure. And yet every single one of them, even Mickey, 
endures to this day. Those are songs that are essentially universal. And one of his strengths moving forward is almost always choosing those songs that are going to remain in the public's conscience. And it was that was apparent from very early on here on the first album. But it album. gets a lot more apparent on Weird Al in 3D, which is the moment that he strikes up a, I would say, a really wonderful and serendipitous relationship with Michael Jackson that will return throughout the show. Um, of course, everybody knows what's happening in 1984. Uh, Thriller is um, what, on the third year of conquering the charts. Uh, it's everywhere. Beat It is the number one song. I mean, I think, it, you know, what are we, 2022? It's probably still the number one song of all time. I mean, it's like a song instantly recognizable. So what does Weird Al do? Hey, Scott, do you want to explain? Can you explain as a kid, because we were there, what the Eat It video felt like? It was... You know, if, if MTV mainly was targeted at, uh, at, uh, at older viewers, not older like 60, but certainly older as in teens and, and 20s, Eat It was a video that every person could appreciate with the sight gags, the puns. And it, of course, worked because the Beat It video was also so universal. Everyone saw the Beat It video over and over again. The, uh, you know, the, the street fight, uh, Michael Jackson in the, in the diner, uh, dancing and, and jumping around pool tables. It was ripe for parody, and Weird Al was there to do it. And in a different artist's hands, this might have been a career highlight. Eat It went to number 12 on the charts. It was his highest charting single up until 2006 or so, and it was um, universal. You don't get to 12 on the charts without being played all over the country. And in 3D spun off a few other songs, too, that ended up being videos on MTV and ended up having lifespans that lasted a long time. There is, Andrew, in my opinion, a massive jump, and I'm sure in Jeff's opinion, too, in quality from the first album to in 3D. In fact, I think it's quite likely uh, that in 3D is his best, most consistent album of his career, and it's right here at the ripe old age of, again, what, 20, 20 25 years old or so. Yeah, figured out who he is um so previously as you note uh in his first album when he's when he's just the novelty act on dr demento he is um maybe he's an accordionist maybe that's his role in life he's gonna be he's got an i think it's i don't think i don't believe he's related to him but there's some famous accordionist that also is named yeah Yankovic. frank no no relation frank, yeah uh, frank Yankovic. so like he's he's kind of thinking maybe i'm gonna be the accordion guy and he realizes Oh, no, it's not. I, I like playing the accordion, but that's not the element here. The element here is that people enjoy me taking a comedic spin on top Billboard songs. And he figures that out in that album and then just rings it like a bell the rest of his life. I mean, 
you, there are songs on here that are like second tier. Like I, I know Scott will disagree with me about "I Lost on Jeopardy." This is like a fan vehemently. Favorite. It, it's one of his best. You I mean, I'm going to just say this: I'm deeply unimpressed. I never heard the original song, the Greg Kinn Band. Is, I, and I, how is that possible? I, I, I talked to Scott about this before the show. I made a promise to him on principle that I would not go back to listen to the original. <laughs> so I still haven't heard the original. Uh, and so it's only the quality of the song and the story that Al's telling and singing that I have to go on. And to me, it's weak sauce. Uh, you know, if he had the original as an anchor, I might like it more. And that, to me, explains why so many of these parodies, is, especially as time goes on, um, you know, are going to age poorly. But isn't that rather telling as to the weakness of these sorts of things? You know, again, as we return to this 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 debate that I had as I listened through his discography, but I've now resolved about the, you know, what is art versus what is kitsch. I Lost on Jeopardy is a funny song because you know Jeopardy and you know the song. Jeopardy is now fading as a product. That song I never knew, so it just does not hit. Um, you're wrong. It's a great song. It's a great parody even speaks to the power of Al at a young age and that this song was recorded when Jeopardy was off the air. Al brought it back through the strength of this song. Maybe it, <laughs> I, I have to look at the history of it. But not knowing the original, I, I, can, I can understand a little better why you don't appreciate it as much because the, the Greg Kin original is this wonderful uh, song, uh, very nervy, paranoid uh, about this, uh, the stress of a relationship going bad. Our love's in jeopardy. And Al, of course, takes that and compares it to the stress and the bright lights of being at a nationally televised TV game show against two guys, a plumber and an architect with PhDs, and you fall flat on your face, and you don't know any of the answers, and Don Pardo tells you, you're a complete loser. Damn it, you're making me laugh. Yeah. So it, <laughs> This it, is what Weird Al does to you. Well, I knew was in trouble now my hope of winning sank cause I got the daily double now and then my mind went blank I took potpourri for 100 and then my head started to spin well I'm giving up Don Pardo just tell me Right out, you lost. And let me tell you what you didn't win. A I think for this to work, for it to be a lasting parody, it needs to be one of two things. Either it needs to be inherently funny on its own, regardless of, of you knowing the the impetus for it. Yes. Or or it just has to have such a good musical timbre to it regardless of whether you wrote it or not, that people would listen to it for the, the musical deliciousy, uh, the, 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 the musical wonder of it, like uh, Yoda, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. Um, to the point on parodies, one of the comedic influences on, uh, on Weird Al is the Zucker Brothers, uh, a la Clearly. Airplane. Oh, yes, Scott. This is so one, wonderful. One of, one of the greatest comedies of all time. I love the, I love the Zucker Brothers. I love them. Um, 
airplane. We were literally talking about this, Scott and I, privately. We're like, this is clearly ZAZ, right? Yes, and yes, you're, you're completely correct. <laughs> yeah, and like, like, well, and and I think Zucker Brothers and and Airplane are a good example of this. Airplane, which is one of my favorite films, is a parody. Mm-hmm. I don't. I have no idea what that film that it's originally called, it's was. Called Zero uh, Hour. Zero Hour. Yep. Yeah, I've never seen it. No one saw I, it. I, I don't I, need I, to see it I, because the because the, the the comedy is self contained. It's not. You don't have to know the prior one. I'm sure it would help. But like with say like uh, with with a lot of with a lot of Weird Al songs, the ones that I think stand up and keep going are the ones that you would you're not going ha ha ha. That's like Madonna. It's it's it, it, that might be a part of it, but it also has an inherent humor that you can appreciate even if you don't know the reference. Okay, this is a perfect, perfect point and a perfect segue into the one other song that I really want to talk about on the record, which is King of Suede. All right, that song is completely new to me. I heard it for the first time when we booked the show, and that's the moment where Weird Al really began to win me over. Because the complaints that I make about how I, you know, Weird Al sometimes will sing in that nerd voice, you know, and that immediately registers his songs as comedy tunes. In this case, that makes King of Pain by the police <laughs> a better song. The original was always this weird, strange fusion of like truly beautiful, somber post-punk music and lyrics that are so over the fucking top, miserable, that you felt really awkward liking it like you like you were about to don the black nail polish you know when you listen to it because i certainly did i was like oh i literally remember sitting in my basement listening to king of pain thinking i am so depressed man if i had only known the cure at that time in my life that's why al turning this into a story about a men's warehouse regional magnate is the perfect deflation of pretensions and I know Scott and I talked about this, but he turns it into a real world. It's mm-hmm. so writerly. The voice is real. The jokes are dense. We, he throws in this line, in, in, you know, do what you want, but don't step on my blue suede shoes. <laughs> I just literally get up off the couch and <laughs> cheer. I'm clapping. I'm clapping for that joke. That's an applause line that is so funny. There's a two for one sale on our three. It's the same old sale as yesterday. Thirty years in the same location I have stayed. There I am right next door to Willie's Fun Arcade. I got no competition, but I'm not afraid. Cause it's my destiny to be the king of originals here which i'll spend some time on uh again massive leap forward and he's 
figuring out again how he wants to uh, how he wants to write these. Midnight Star, the second song of the album, is a true original. It's not really a, a, in the style of anyone, and it's this wonderful upbeat tune with these cascading keyboards about the weird headlines and the checkout line and the weekly world news and the national Enquirer. it's a great original but then you have again i think his first great pastiche to the b-52s on this song mr popeel i can't tell you how magical it was because i i've listened to weird al forever i did not get into the b-52s until even well after love shack and listening it in 3D again and like for the first time saying, oh, clearly he's doing the B-52s. He's doing Fred Schneider. Obviously, it's just a wonderful, it's not a send up. It, these are all tributes. This is what I'll, a point I'll make very early on. These pastiches essentially do what we want to do here on Political Beats. These pastiches, they're Al saying, I love this band. They're fantastic. You might not know them. Here's, I want to distill their DNA and combine it with a little of mine and tell you what they're like. And maybe you'll go seek them out. And that's happened more than a few times with artists that he's covered. I want to shine some panties. I want to mend some leather. I want to crazy glue my head to the bottom of a big steel girder. Please no CODs. Don't miss out on this deal. Ah, help me, Mr. Paul. next album dare to be stupid that's the one where i literally as i said i had it on cassette i kept it because the library literally would not let me return it <laughs> and i went and hunted down every artist that was either parodied or as i found out later was influenced by those songs and uh yeah at the end of the day boy it's funny i have to i'm really debating what my top two weird Al albums are this is very likely to be one of them. Weird, weird owl, excuse me, weird owl parodying you is a sign. It is the sign that you have made it. In fact, I believe Nirvana comes to that conclusion. They're still early in their career when he parodies them, but they're like, we did it. We did it. Like this is, we, weird owl is a one-man Grammy. Or you, or you can be like Mark Mothersbaugh of Devo, where he's hilarious. They interviewed him for like, you know, the, the Weird Al documentary. Behind the music, like, yeah. Behind the music, right? And, and he's like, you know, I heard Dare to be Stupid, the title track, which is a Devo knockoff in every respect. And he's like, this is so beautiful. And he's like, and I've hated him forever. <laughs> because, because he wrote a better Devo song than Devo did. <laughs> That's the lead, or not the lead track, but the, uh, the the title track from the next album, 1985's Dare to be Stupid. It is a perfect song. It is one of his best original songs in his entire career. If I do make a mountain out of a molehill, so can I have a volunteer? There's no more time for crying over spilled milk, and now it's time for crying in your beer. Settle down, raise a family, join the PTA, buy some sensible shoes. 
this album is a little top-heavy, guys. I think there are some things that are truly outstanding, and I think it includes one of his worst songs of his career, too. A- Andrew, Dare to be Stupid, are you a fan? Um, I'll be honest with you. I am trying to reach through the the mists to my middle school self, and I cannot remember it with great, great alacrity. I suppose this was not one of the audio cassettes or CDs available at Square, uh, 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 Grail Springs Mall at the time. I, of, of this album, I'll be honest with you, the only one that I, I really remember is Yoda, mm-hmm. which uh, was amazing and which I, I will hold up there with, with Lola, uh, but that's the one that stares, uh, stands out to me. Okay, well, the thing about Yoda is the song is, okay, this is the song. This is, as I said, Dare to be Stupid got me into Devo. Yoda got me in. And this is embarrassing, but it got me into the Kinks. I did not know. I thought you were about to say it got you into Star Wars. <laughs> no. You, you're you're well, like, what is this about? There's a Muppet and magic and he lives on a bog? I have to check out this film. You know, the funny thing is I really hated Yoda. I thought he was the worst part of the Star Wars trilogy. I didn't like that friggin' Muppet. It was wrinkly and green. And then Weird Al humanized him in this song. Which is, of course, based on the classic Kings tune, Elola. Scott told me he didn't like it. Um, there are lines in this song that are prophetic. Yeah, I, I was a friend of ours, Will Collier, who pointed this out the other day. There's that line right at the end where he said, The long term contract I had to sign said I'd be making these movies till the <laughs> end of time because of Yoda. And it is, in fact, that friggin' baby Yoda that keeps bringing Mark Hamill back to the Star Wars universe. I loved Yoda, that song, because as a as a non-hip, not cool, middle schooler blundering around who was a nerd and a sci-fi nerd, I never felt at home in pop culture. I never felt like I belonged there. When I listened to music on the radio, I always felt like I was two small children who had put on a an overcoat and snuck into a rated R film that somebody was going to point at me and be like, nerd, you're not supposed to be here. This is a Green Day concert. That is all how I felt with all pop music all of my childhood. So Weird Al taking Yoda uh, or taking Lola and, and making it a song about Yoda was like, oh, this is appropriate for me. This is this is my ethnic group. This is Star Wars. This, this is nerd stuff. <laughs> I belong here. He's singing the songs of my yes. people. This will be played at my wedding. Maybe children will be conceived to it. <laughs> All of the fellow nerds will understand this. And uh, and on top of that, as a middle schooler, this is something that I can sing. There aren't any Star Wars songs I can sing. I love Star Wars, but it's not like <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go. It doesn't have words. You know? Yeah, I, I, I can't. And I, I did not yet know of the 
the horrors of uh, the Star Wars Christmas special, which does have a song you can sing to on it. But or I don't you know could that do the, the Bill the Bill Murray, you know, Star Wars, right? Nothing right, yeah. but Star Wars. But but this one, I mean, I I would sing this through the house and sing it in the car. It was it was a, a catchy tune because Lola's a catchy tune, but it also so well. It, it wasn't even so much that I found it funny as it was able to merge this wonderful song with things that I loved that I had no means of uh, uh, musically interacting with. Well, I won't forget what Yoda said. He said, Luke, stay away from the darker side. And if you start to go astray, let the force be your guide. Oh, my Yoda. Yo, 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 Yoda. I know Darth Vader's really got you annoyed, but remember, if you kill him, then you'll be unemployed. Oh, my Yoda. Yo, 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 yo. This is the point where my Weird Al conversation gets theoretical because this is precisely why I love it too because the value of that song, that parody, is directly related to the tenacity of Star Wars in our cultural memory. If Star Wars had faded away, mm. it, people would be like, well, who cares? Why, 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 why are all these plot details here? But we like that and then we like, you know, the, you know, the saga begins later on right. because we still all – Star Wars is here. That wrinkly Muppet is still with us culturally ever-present. And so when we look back on it, it, it does – when I was a kid, boy, that, that, that whole idea of being a nerd who could sing along to something nerdy and know I was, I was with my own <laughs> – God, that that feels so right. I just remember, like, like you know, when everyone else was at recess, the nerds would hide in the corner and talk about Weird Al songs, and then later on, I pretended I was too cool for them, and I would listen to Phil Collins instead, you know, because you know that wasn't really. Then the library gave you the Phil Collins right. cassette, he, and, 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 then, and then I re- then I realized that, oh, and of course it's an escalator, right? Because that's not cool now either. So now I got to get really cool. Right. This is the way this is the way childhood music tastes go. But yeah, it starts with that kind of a thing. Uh, Scott, there is at least one more original song on this album I want to discuss. Uh, but do you have anything to say yeah, maybe well, about the Huey Lewis song? Well, actually, that's not what I want. I, I want a new doc. Uh, perhaps his most punny song. But that song I, is just pun I, after pun after pun. Listen, I like the duck that doesn't raid the icebox. <laughs> Every time I like it. I want a new duck. I'm out what I think. Well, no, won't make a mess of my house. I'll build a nest in the bathroom sink. I want a new duck. One that won't steal a beer. One that won't stick his bill in my mail. One that knows the duck stops here. One that won't drive me crazy. Waddling all around. One who'll teach me how to swim and help me not to drown. Show me how to get. Uh, the, the big parody here, the, 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 the lead single was Like a Surgeon. That video lame. for MTV, though, is very, it's it's very Zucker Abrams Zucker. The video is. 
The song has never been one of my favorites, but I think it's a, it's a good video. The, the, the one that I wanted to just spend a minute on is actually one I think is one of his worst songs, and there's a reason why, and that's Girls Just Want to Have Lunch. If you listen, he sort of harkens back to that abrasive singing style from the first album, and it seems kind of forced, and there's a reason. And again, via Nathan Rabin in his book, the, this is this is a typical music industry story. The record label insisted, insisted he do a parody of Cindy Lauper, and he did not want to do it. And so he wrote, "Girls just want to have lunch" because the label desperately wanted him to do it. Put it on the album, and I think you can tell his heart's just not in it. It is not it's one got, of his you better know, parodies. It's, it's hilarious. Just here in my notes, which of course you know I wrote basically cold. I just said it's the nadir of these parodies. I said it's listless, yeah. uninspired. There's no point. And and I, the point is, it's like if nothing else, it proves that you need Cindy Lauper to make that song work because like he ain't, it ain't making it. But it, I know we will be hanged, garroted, and then hanged if we don't talk about one more minute. All right, which is this greasy doo-wop heartbreak original tune of his, and I think it's probably one of his best ever. It's not dependent on any one particular song. It's not aping. It's not even. It's a genre effort, I guess. It's nerd nirvana. It is almost nearly show tune. In fact, the way it breaks down at the end, where he says, "Like this is a, a heartbreak song," where, oh, you know, everyone says, "I'd love one more minute with you, my dear." No, no, no. He 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 would rather rip his heart. I would rather rip my heart out of my bare chest with my with my hands and throw it on the floor and stomp on, on it, it again again and again until I die rather than spend one more minute with you. Uh, and yes, the, the endless, endless analogies. Uh, what was it? We like to sleep on a pile of razor blades, uh, stick his nostrils together. With Clean all the glue. toilets in Times Square with his tongue. Something like Grand, Central, Grand Central, Station. Central Station. That's right, yeah. Grand Central Station with my tongue <laughs> rather than spend one more minute with you. This was Nerdvana when I was, again, nine years old because it was clean, it was funny, it was witty, and it also kind of found a way to put into words the way I felt when the cool girls told me that I was also a nerd. <laughs> I'd rather rip out my intestines with a fork than watch you going out with other men. I'd rather slam my fingers in a door Again and again and again and again and again Oh, can't you see what I'm trying to say, darling? I'd rather have my blood sucked out by leeches Shove an ice pick under a toenail or two I'd rather clean all the bathrooms in Grand Central Station with my tongue then spend one more minute with you Yes, I'd rather jump naked on a huge pile of thumbtacks Or stick my nostrils together with crazy glue I'd rather dive into a swimming pool filled with double-edged razor blades Than spend one more minute Face, did they? Nah. Well, actually, yes, because you know the '80s were tough like that. There's no bullying thing now, which I think makes kids soft. You know, I, I, I hardened myself up because everybody told me that you know those glasses ain't making it. Uh, by the way, we're gonna come to like the weird dip in Al's life. 
which is the second, this third album, Polka Party. It's not, it, it, you know, it, one of the things is that because he's not able to like have his own voice, he has to ride the trends. There were no big trends for him. He had to put out a follow-up album. This one gets forgotten. I just want to point out that there is one song on this record called Dog Eat Dog, which is the most amazing Talking Heads parody I have ever heard. And it honestly should have been written by David Byrne. Uh, it is, it is six different Talking Heads songs folded <laughs> like 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 a, an Italian calzone into like one magnificent little little you know beautiful thing for you to devour. It is, I think, one of his greatest originals ever. Sometimes I can't believe this is all really happening. Sometimes I can't believe that I'm really sitting here. Sometimes I tell myself this is not my beautiful stapler. Sometimes I tell myself this is not my beautiful chair. Closer he gets to being the the fountainhead of creativity in a given situation, by which I mean, I think that his most talented songs, his most impressive songs, are not parodies, but songs that he has written whole cloth himself, uh, of which there are many. Uh, after that, I am impressed by the songs where he has written an original song, but he's parodying a style, like with um, uh, One More Minute. Uh, and the ones that I think... Um, have the lowest shelf life unless they involve Star Wars is when he is parodying a specific song because he does have a um, it, it, it is it is the same type of joke pretty much every time and yeah. it's funny the first time you hear it but it's always there's a, a song that is taking itself very seriously mm -hmm. and I am going to inject lyrics that are about something very mundane and so that's like like, like, like today, if he, if he were doing it, it'd be some incredibly big deal. And the song's going to be my my phone ran out of uh, out of batteries. Right. It's that kind of thing. Right. It's like I you can see it coming. And once you hear it once, you're like, oh, that was cute and funny. And I don't have much desire to go back to those songs. The songs where he writes the lyrics themselves, their original lyrics. Um, those are ones where I'm like, oh, that's not only funny, but the song itself has value. And I could listen to that. Rather than just want to, I, I, I'll listen to Like a Surgeon once or twice and be like, okay, I'm done with this forever. If I ever want to hear this beat again, I'll go to the Madonna song. But there, if it's an original song, like um, uh, Everything You Know Is Wrong or something like that, maybe I'll do it. And I'll, I'll add that another one of those two is when he does these, he starts doing these like parodies, uh, polka synopses 
of all the top billboards as his career progresses, which I think is a wonderful way to like like Dave Barry does a uh, the a year in review. review. Yes, every, every it's year the in the Washington year in Post. Review. Dave, Dave Barry also a damn national treasure. There should be a statue of him in Miami. Whenever I talk to people that are from Miami <laughs> that don't know who Dave Barry is, I am disappointed in them as human beings, and I, I tell okay, them to you, get off you, my boat. You were but, destined for our show because I grew up. I I, I grew up on Dave Barry. Dave Barry, yeah, and, and, and I kick everyone off my boat too. Yeah. And, and so like, like, um, Dave Barry does this end of the year review and it's a wonderful way of the, like I, he, there's, I, there ought to be someday just history according to Dave Barry. And that's what we look back on. It's the uh, absurdities and, of the year. Yes. Yeah. And in, in the same way, Weird Al is great at, at doing this high intensity cardio workout. I am running at full ski, speed on a treadmill polka music, uh, of, all of these songs and putting them in a compendium. And, and those are fun too. So why don't you use it? Try not to bruise it. Bye, time don't lose it. Bang your head. That'll help will drive you mad. Bang your head. That'll help will drive you mad. question from fans of the show like how much we would discuss the polkas on this episode and i think both scott and i agreed well in advance we're huge fans of the yeah, polkas. i love them i, I <laughs> really love them and, and there's there's something i want to bring up in this context like I, I didn't even realize why it was i love the polkas until i found this uh, thing called rodeo head which is i'm a huge Radiohead fan mm-hmm. and so chris hardwick the guy who used to do like uh what was it I can't remember the name of the show he did on Comedy Central. Um, but uh, he and his friend just came up with this note-perfect bluegrass country parody of Radiohead songs. Just throwing every one of them in. Brilliant medley and all these little like, little, like you know, grace notes and things like that that a fan would truly appreciate. And then what you realize is that when Weird Al picks these polka songs, he's going, yeah, he sometimes feels compelled to include the hits. But he also goes and he leads and he lingers on the ones that he really likes mm-hmm. and he does goofy things with them. And uh, yeah, there's at least one of these that might make my top five at the end <laughs> because like, I really like them that much. The other thing I enjoy about these polka songs, I I don't know if this is a genre of music if I because I don't know enough music theory, but like syncretic music or translated music might be the best way to describe this. I love because there's lots of situations where there might be a there might be a genre of music that I am not exposed to or I don't get and I just don't like it. And then I'll hear it translated to a different style of music mm-hmm. and go, oh, OK, now I hear what you're going off of. Like one of my favorite bands, it's not it's not a comedy group at all. It's called Iron Horse. Iron Horse takes uh, um, like uh, Rage Against the Machine and translates it into bluegrass. It's done unironically. They just take Rage Against the Machine and turn it into bluegrass music. And um, I've, I've heard other, I really like bluegrass too, by the way. I've heard bluegrass renditions where like bluegrass will take rap, which I don't tend to like, 
and translate it into bluegrass. And then I'm like, oh, well, now, okay, now I'm hearing the beat in a way that now I, I hear the rhythm, the rhythm yeah, of the song, the flow. You're, 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 right. you're playing this, this genre that I understand, and you're now able to kind of um, uh, filter this other music through it. And Weird Al is doing that with polka. Listen, you might not have thought you liked Duran Duran's The Reflex, but I guarantee you, you're going to like it on accordion, man. I just don't know why. I don't know why that works. Anyways, Scott, I'll, I will say this. Unless you have anything big to say about Poker Party, I was going to follow up Andrew's point about you know the parodies and how they're sometimes, you know, they sometimes die on the vine. Because the biggest and the most famous one of Al's career is one I just don't have any time for, and that's fat. Yeah, let me say three quick things about Polka Party, which again, in, yeah. the, in the behind the music, this is when, and then Al went, fell on hard times. This didn't, didn't, uh, didn't sell as well as the others. Um, it has his second best Christmas song, Christmas at Ground Zero. We'll talk about the best Christmas song later on. It has one of his worst misfires in terms of, uh, of predictive powers. Uh, Toothless People, the parody of Ooh, Mick Jagger's. the Mick Jagger song, yikes. Ruthless People, and it's just, oh, it's Mick Jagger, and it's, it's Ruthless People, which is also uh, Zaz. And, um, and like, of course, it's going to be a hit, and it wasn't at all. No one liked Ruthless People, so Toothless People is kind of pointless. And the one song I'll just spend a moment on is the first uh, parody on the, on, the, on the album, which is Living with a Hernia, the James Brown song Living uh, in America. I, I, I do think it's one of his more underrated parodies, uh, mainly because it's so informative. And I don't mean that as a, <laughs> as a slight. He did the research. He found out about hernias. He lists the top 10 hernias you can get. Um, the, the grunts and groans of this, you know, sexual, you know, uh, unsatisfaction that James Brown might have been feeling in his songs turned into grunts and groans because this guy can't bend over anymore because he has the hernia problem. Wait a minute. I just want to remind folks, this is a lot harder to do in 1985 than it is on Google now. Oh, that yeah. research, like yes. you put effort in. He had to go to the library and go, can you point me to the hernia section? over by the H's. you got to go over yep. to I'm sure, I'm sure what he did is he went to his GP's office and said, can you point me to a hernia specialist? And that's what he did. You can't do the song without doing the work. So back, back to being in middle school, do you, do you guys remember when there would just be these weird urban child rumors that were accepted as gospel that there was no way for anyone to figure this out like when i when i was in boy scouts and i'm listening to these weird l songs it was established medical fact that red dye number seven found in uh, uh, uh butterfinger bars shrinks your testicles this was just well everybody knew this that if you yeah, well, yeah, you know, every, everybody yeah, andrew everybody knew that but nobody 
knew that quite as well as they knew the fact that Procter and Gamble was secretly run by Satanists, which was right. my Sunday school rumor. <laughs> and, and you, could, you, you could like, we could like ask the adults. They don't know. They don't have Google either. They have no way. They're like, it is probably going to be fine. I wouldn't worry about it. No one had any idea of checking this stuff. So yeah, hernia, like very likely Weird Al just like put on a, a hat and sunglasses so nobody recognized him and just walked around the mall until he saw people that looked like they were in pain. He's <laughs> like, hey, do you have hernia? Can I ask you about these symptoms? Because you're right. They couldn't Google any of this stuff back then. But oh. to get back to to get back to eat it though, which is even worse, which is again, you know, Al falls on hard time because, like, remember his 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 the ebb and flow of his career at this point is governed by the fact that like you can he piggyback on something that's popular in the charts. Michael Jackson bails him out again. Michael Jackson, who was himself taking his sweet time after Thriller, mm-hmm. finally comes out with Bad, and well, even worse, and of course, Fat. I mean, most of the people who are listening to a Weird Al episode here are going to know this is one of their most five recognizable songs. I don't like it. I don't like the video. Uh, believe me, I'm, I'm not exactly super fat myself, so I'm not personally offended. I just think it's it doesn't last. There's no meaning to it. When I walk out to get my mail, it measures on the Richter scale. song on here that actually does last of all things because it was futuristic which is i think i'm a clone now <laughs> which is you know i think i'm alone now right mm-hmm. you know the it was it, i can't remember if it's debbie gibson or no it's tiffany tiffany, tiffany. know your teen she, stars all these teen stars fold together for me right because you know i was a guy i didn't listen to the girl stars at that time. but yeah i think i'm alone now it was a good original song, and I think I'm a clone now. Is one of those ones that weirdly ages. Test two babies. Yeah, you don't know if they, if Dolly the sheep has been being cloned or not. Just remember, folks, this is 1988. <laughs> it still works in 2022. Weird, Weird Al is the Isaac Asimov of accordion playing musical geniuses. <laughs> it is. I, I agree with you guys on Fat, by the way. I, I, what I, that was one of the songs that was the lead songs at the very first concert I ever went to. Uh, Weird Al had a, not exactly a fat suit, more like a hula hoop that had had fabric <laughs> stretched around it so that he, he was sort of had like an inflatable fat suit. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I remember back then, like we were enjoying the the spectacle of it. The the um, the actual concert was very fun, but the song itself, I I don't really have any desire to return to. It is uh, it is weird that in the year 1988 you had or 87 88 you had two songs originally by Tommy James that went to number one back to back in in uh, Moni Moni and I think I'm alone now. Even stranger that Weird Al decides to cover both of them, parody both of them on even worse. And he did a song Alimony to Moni Moni, the 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 live hey, 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 idol version. Scott the Shondells usually underrated. I'm just saying. It's I mean it's true. It is true. Um. There are great originals on this album. Um, Melanie, Melanie, I think, is one of his very, very best. And again, this is one that is not necessarily in the style of. It is just a song. It's just a Weird Al song. I just can't understand it. Why won't you return my phone calls? Are you still mad I gave a mohawk to your cat? If he sounds the most like he sounds like the people the one he sounds like that he wasn't directly influenced by is nick Lowe. nick Lowe could have written that song and he could have written another one we'll talk about later mm-hmm. but you have later bands i hear fountains of wayne yeah i hear they might be giants i hear a lot of people who were secretly taking cues from these nerd albums they bought as nerd kids yes absolutely uh and there's a there's a there's an artist that he was a huge fan of. In fact, the one uh, pastiche on the first album, "Happy Birthday to Me," was by uh, was to an artist named Tony O'Kay. And there was another one later that was also a pastiche to him. And so you see some of the influences and who he influenced later on. Um, "You Make Me" is an Oingo Boingo uh, pastiche, which I really like a lot. Uh, you make me want to hang out at a trailer park, then take my hamster to the beach. You make me want to do my laundry in the dark and use a recommended bleach. The weird things that you make him want to do in life. Uh, it's a really, it's kind of like a spiritual sibling is there to be stupid too in the way that it sounds. You make me want to slam my head against the wall. You make me do the limbo. You make me want to buy a Slurpee at the mall. You make me watch the gong show. There's really something kind of strange about you, baby, but I can't exactly seem to pull my finger on. on George Harrison with this song is just six words long and I think 
uh, Jeff's wife and my seven-year-old daughter both had the same reaction to I'm the gonna, song. I'm going to just relate it to you straight. I put this song on the other day in the morning. My wife, in bed, rolls out of bed, wakes up, walks out, says, first thing she says to me, flatly, the title is a lie. Mm-hmm. This That's- song is just six words long, seven asshole. Also, far more than that in the entire song, which is what my daughter was trying to tell me, too. You know, if you take all the words in the song, way more than that. Um, Hey, I've got a question, Scott. Yes. Um, So I have not read the official Weird Al biography. You You are well ahead of me in that capacity. I did at least my due diligence in reading his Wikipedia article because we all live in the future now <laughs> and we can read a uh, an encyclopedia article on the right. square pieces of, of glass and plastic we keep in our pockets that otherwise bring us sadness throughout the day. And so I read through this and there's a good rundown of Weird Al's youth and how he, you know Dr. Domeno came to his high school. And then once it gets into his career, there's really very little reference to anything involving his personal life that I could find. Like I, he, he's worked with the same band for a yes. long time. There's yeah. no reference to spouses or children or anything like that. You just kind of get the impression that he retreats to a bunker and just sits around listening to a radio and then goes, <laughs> ah, that's a good one. And then like two years later emerges and he's shaved his mustache and is going to do a new, new album. So like, do we have any idea what's he, going on he, in Weird Al's he, life during this time? He, I'm going to tell you right now. That, to me, is one of the most admirable qualities he has. I don't want to know, and I'm glad that I don't. <laughs> you, you, I, don't you don't want Weird Al popping up to give us his hot take on inflation uh, or, or just, you know, c- coming out and uh, getting, uh, you know, a lot of people don't know this. He also had a trial with Amber Heard, but you never see that. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's Johnny Depp getting all this stuff. Well, the thing uh, is, though, is that, when, himself. He's the thing not, is, he's is that when Weird Al pops up, he pops up to own people on Twitter kindly, which is hilarious. I had a friend of uh, a guest of ours on the show who wanted me to mention this, Stephen Miller, who pointed out that, like, uh, you know, when Madonna was complaining about how, oh, gosh, I don't know how to write a parody song about my newest thing. He just like, little, you know. He literally just popped with a one-line tweet. He's like, yeah, see, it's not so easy, is it? (laughs) Of course, he's referring to like a surgeon, which Madonna apparently claims credit for recommending to him. And he's like, listen, no, no, listen, I didn't do it because of you. But like, that's like, he's like, old beef quietly reemerges and it's hilarious in the nicest way. I can tell you that uh, Al's a vegetarian. I can tell you that Al uh, got married, I think, in the early aughts, and I think he's got two, I think, two kids. But as Jeff mentions, and I think we'll make a little point of this later on, too, um, he's a pretty private guy, which is one of his good attributes. But I do know that around this time, Andrew, he was very busy writing a script for a movie that would also become a soundtrack, and it is a... Uh, it did no business at the movie theater because it opened against Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And uh, I wanted to love this movie so much. So and I, I do love it. Jeff doesn't love UHF, and something's wrong with him, clearly. Uh, I just, I, I'm going to say about the film, I don't know if, before we talk about the soundtrack, which is kind of almost like a secondary it's, it's thing. It's kind of throwaway, yeah. Yeah, but the, the film, like, I didn't come to this until very recently, 2018, I think, is the first time I saw it because I just thought, well, how have I missed this? I'm a kid who grew up with Al, and I know Mystery Science Theater, and I know all this kind of loopy, weird PB's Herman stuff. And I watched it, and I thought to myself, the movie parodies were good. Nobody doesn't mind the Indiana Jones stuff. Nobody, nobody's going to argue about uh, Gandhi Part Two. 
next week on U62. He's back. And this time, he's mad. Gandhi 2. No more Mr. Passive Resistance. He's out to kick some butt. This is one bad mother you don't want to mess with. Don't move, slime ball. He's a one-man wrecking crew. But he also knows how to party. Give me a stick, medium rare. There is only one law. His law. Gandhi 2. Conan nobody, the Librarian. Nobody's going to argue about Michael Richards force-feeding that kid the fire hose. Every time I die laugh. Michael Richards is actually the best part. The pre-Kramer, yeah. Michael Richards, pre-Seinfeld. The Michael mop Richards. and all that. It's, he, he's, he's, a, uh, he's a very, very good physical actor, and he's doing very well in UHF. I mean, he's a holy fool, which is, of course, who Weird Al is. He's the holy fool. I, I, mm -hmm. I, t I, said, I told my friend John McFerrin I'd get that reference in because that's exactly what it is. He's just a naif. And it's beautiful, and that's funny, but the but the the film just disappointed me. And I know Scott's going to tell me I'm wrong. Of course, because Scott right. has his childhood memories. He clings there's on to no, like a pacifier. There is no doubt that that's part of it. It's been a part of my life for a long time. But it did feel like at the time, again, because no one went to see it, and you couldn't find it for years. If you wanted to buy it, you could yeah. not find it. It was very difficult. I, I so that has special place in my heart because. Uh, uh, UHF was filmed primarily in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, it was mostly at the, huh. the Kensington Galleria where the sound stages no were idea. built. So this was local for you. Wow. This was local, and I, I didn't find out about this till years later. Like I, because as as you point out, Scott, it was almost like an underground uh, underground film. Mm -hmm. I, I would I had just assumed up until you told me it was in theaters that it was straight to to video cassette. I didn't realize it actually had, had been that level because it, it was not well known. But um, if you liked Weird Al in Oklahoma, this was the second or third thing you'd bring up. It's like, you know that they shot UHF in Tulsa. <laughs> and you're like five, uh, maybe about 10 years ago now, Tulsa declared permanently September 24th is UHF 25 Weird Al Yankovic Day. That is like there's an official Weird Al Day <laughs> in Tulsa. When that happened, Weird Al tweeted out the headline and just said, everything changes now. And, uh, and so it's like, we're like, okay, he's sort of like quasi-adopted. I, I don't know that there's a lot to say um, about the soundtrack itself. Well, uh, there is a giant ball of twine I'd like to talk about, but beyond that. Beyond that, I would, I would point to uh, the, the title song, uh, UHF. I, I think it's, it's an excellent original. This is the song most likely, most, least likely to be a Weird Al song. It, it doesn't have yeah. to be a Weird Al song. Anyone could have sang UHF. So when Jeff says, you know, if he wasn't a comedy guy... What would he kind of sound like? He kind of sound like this, I think, right? He kind of sound like UHF, which really is a great little pop song. It's a banger um, of a pop track. It, yeah, it's no a question. really, it's got a tremendous uh, middle eight section to it. You can watch us all day. You can watch us all night. You can watch us anytime that you please. That's a great part of the song. So I, I think it's one of his really great originals, and might might give at least in this time frame, give you the idea of what Weird Al would sound like if he tried to do a quote unquote straight album of material.
actually also speak up at least a little bit in favor of that Hot Rocks polka because that mm. Rolling Stones polka is it's funny. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a mega fan of the Stones, so like hearing them set to accordion, yeah, I'm gonna laugh. But I, the one that I think really does deserve to be mentioned is the last one, and this is a shocker to me. Not a shocker, shocker, but it points out how great a lyricist and a storyteller that he is. Weird Al actually is going to develop this over time. He's gets he's going to get better yeah. at this. But the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota is a good old Harry Chapin kind of a knockoff song about you know getting in the car and doing a kind of a National Lampoon's vacation kind of trip to visit. And, you know, you stop in the diner, things go wrong, you get to the ball of twine, you accidentally knock the ball of twine out. It's weird. It, it ends up somehow in Fargo, North Dakota, because it rhymes with Minnesota. <laughs> it, it's a fun little picaresque of a song and uh, is, I think, uh, clearly the seed of something much bigger to come, uh, which we'll get to, I guess, several albums down the line. We walked up beside it and I warned the kids, now you better not touch it, those ropes are there for a reason. I said, maybe if you're good, I'll tie it to the back of our car And we can take it home, but I was only teasing Then we went to the gift shop and stood in line Bought a souvenir miniature ball of twine Some window decals and anything else they'd sell us And I bought a couple postcards, greetings from the twine ball Wish you were here, both the folks back home be jealous I gave her camera to Bernie and we stood by the ball And we all gathered round and said, cheese then Bernie ran away with my brand new Instamatic But at least we got our memories So we all just stared at the ball for a while And my eyes got moist but I said with a smile Kids, this here's what America's all about Then I started feeling kinda gooey inside And I fell on my knees and I cried and cried And that's when those security guards threw us out You know I bet if we unraveled that sucker It'd roll all the way down the Fargo UHF the album, UHF the song, UHF the movie, they all flopped. And so, uh, again, Al gets sad. This is the bad part of behind the music. But he was he was off. He was off for four years until his next album would drop. And it was intentional because he knew he needed something to, to push. He knew he needed something that would sell. And he's trying to figure out what's the what's the lead parody? What am I going to do? And, and so and by the way, I did the research behind this and for the show. And it turns out like the original songs on this next album, which I think are almost uniformly superb, were all written immediately. He had right. them and had actually recorded them. He right. had them in the can instantly after UHF. But he knew because I'm Weird Al Yankovic, unfortunately. People are not going to buy this and they don't want to hear it unless I've got some super cool, you know, like transcendent song parody to hang it around, which is, you know, unfortunately the paradox of his career. But he's got it. He's got it. He's got the great he's, idea. Thank you, Kurt Cobain. Can I tell you the well, story? It's one of my favorite stories. Well, let, me, so, let me hold on one second because it almost okay. wasn't Kurt Cobain. He wanted to do Michael Jackson again. Oh, yes, yes. He wanted to do Black or White, and he, he wrote a song called Snack All Night. And I actually want to thank Michael Jackson for saying no because that sounds like a pretty horrible idea for a lead parody off the new album. It's so the Michael, worst of two things. It's, it's both food, yeah. again, and it's another return to the Michael Jackson well. Now, Michael 
Jackson was actually a huge fan of Weird Al. Yep. He gave him permission the first two times. He let him literally hang his entire album around bad the second time. But he said, like, oh, this is a personal thing for me. Yep, it's Black too and important. Yep. It's a statement song. I, I, you know, you can take anything else off of Dangerous, but just don't do that. And so he didn't. And he waited. And thank God he did. Can I, okay, can I ask here? This is something that comes up in, in the controversies of Weird Al's life is that uh, sometimes someone will claim that he makes a parody without their permission, uh, but they will refrain from suing him. It's my understanding that fair use explicitly exempts parody. Correct. That, Absolutely. That if you were making a parody, yeah. you're okay. So he, when, when we ask about asking permission, this is just this is just a gentlemanly that's correct. request. Yep. There's no legality associated with this? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And of course, it, this is, you know, kind of famous and it's it's what, you know, he he always asks people and sometimes they say no. So for example, he kept going to Prince. He said, "Can I do a Prince song? Can I do Let's Go Crazy? Can I do something else in Prince we just because he, you know, we just did a three-part episode on Prince." You know what Prince is like. He'll say no. <laughs> and so Weird Al was like, okay, fine. He didn't even he didn't even do him in a medley because he didn't want to offend him. But he did do a just, style parody. Um, he did do a style parody, but that's fine. You know, that's fair game. Traffic Jam. But, yeah, that's the one. But and I think the, like, the one time famously there was a miscommunication was like, you know, he, he thought he had he'd, he'd gotten Coolio's permission for the Amish Paradise song. He right. talked to the record label. The record label said, yeah, we're cool. And then Coolio now comes out and say, initially he said like, no, that's bad. Now he says like, ah, I'm a fool. Hey, you know what? Today, literally today, Scott, you know, just emailed us Beck. He can't, he came to Beck and said, I want to do a loser parody. And Beck was like really worried about being taken seriously on the charts at the time. So he said, no, I think it was schmoozer. Was that what it was? Yes. I'm yeah. a schmoozer baby. You know, I'm glad because it sounds like it wouldn't be good. <laughs> it sounds like it wouldn't be good. And instead, he included him in a polka later on, not on this album. But this album is the one where he found Nirvana. And, of course, the story about how he got permission is hilarious. He, he was, it's hard to nail Kurt Cobain, of all people, down. Man's a heroin addict, for Christ's sakes. He keeps a regular schedule. So what did he do? I think he buttonholed him at the backstage of some music awards show. And he said, hey, 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 I want to do a parody song. Is it okay? I want to do Smells Like Teen Spirit. And Kurt Cobain's answer to him was like, is it going to be about food? <laughs> and then Weird Al was like, no, 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 no. It's going to be a, nobody understands what the hell you're saying. And he's like, all right, permission granted. And that's when they said, like, he's like, all right, I love it. And, of course, they loved it. They loved the fact that they'd made it. And Smells Like Nirvana, yeah, that's when Weird Al was that, that first time we just reemerged into my life. And I forgot so well I guess it pays to
And it's good he waited because the other parodies on this album are... This is the album I think has the Bad. largest chasm between really great originals, pastiches, and really <sighs> parodies. MC Hammer, New Kids on the Block, Millie Vanilli, Gerardo, if you remember him, Rico Suave. Those are the other parody targets on Off the Deep End. And it's hard. You have to love something to parody it well, I think. It's hard to say you love MC Hammer, Millie Vanilli, Gerardo, right? I mean, it's, it's hard to do those really well. But the originals here are really outstanding, really outstanding. Um, uh, I want to mention uh, just very quickly, I Was Only Kidding, which uh, Al was a huge Elton John fan. He did a, a, a song that was very much based on Hercules from uh, Honky Chateau a few albums ago, and this time... On that song, you know, the, the beginning of Border Song, when that chorus comes up, you go, Holy Moses, I have been removed. He uses that exact trick at the beginning of I Was Only Kidding, and it's just wonderful when you know. When you know, you know. Um, okay, Scott, my wife stopped me when we were playing that song because I was running it around the house as we were listening. And she's like, is that an Elton John thing? What's that song? That's, yep. that's, that's the Holy Moses song. Yep. Yep. She, she got it too. So I'm just like, yes, I love it when everyone gets that throw of recognition. When I said that I'd be faithful, when I promised I'd be true, when I swore that I could never be with anyone but you, when I told you that I loved you with those tender words I spoke. When I was your age, I didn't realize until a couple of years ago, is essentially uh, just doing Dirty Laundry from Don Henley, right mm-hmm. down to that turnaround from the first chorus to the second verse, the sort of mechanical chinkin, chinkin. He does that same thing in When I Was Your Age, and it's sort of that, that same sort of escalation of humor he uses so well. And then I think the best original here, guys, is his uh, tribute to Nick Lowe. Uh, Airline Amy is mm. one of his best originals he ever wrote and it is so spot on if nick lowe's saying this you just say oh that's a classic nick lowe song i mean it's the same sort of winking humor and it's really not just nick lowe it's a specific song it is specifically switchboard susan uh, right down to the weird proposition line where uh, in airline amy he says i gotta get you in an upright lock position it is just a wonderful song in which the guy misinterprets the the common activities of a stewardess like showing into a seat Showing him the exit rows, giving him coffee, giving him peanuts to to flirting. And so he keeps wanting to fly with the same stewardess, Airline Amy. It is it is, uh, it is, is one of the great achievements of his career. <laughs> okay, I'll tell you why it's one of the great achievements. Because, it, 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 again, it, it will send you, if you're careful, off into a place where you would otherwise never find yourself. I just tell people, one day, Political Beats will cover Nick Lowe. I We've got a guest. You. We've got a guest. But it's a three-timer, oh. so we have to wait yes, till we yes, open yes, that exactly. door. Yes, yes, exactly. We can't, we can't do three-peats yet. But Jesus of Cool, Labor of Lust, early Nick Lowe, that is exactly what it is. It's mordant. And again, as I said earlier, like if, if Weird Al had ever been permitted to just 
basically do what he's doing right now, which is just touring using only his original songs, he would have developed into that artist. And I think I didn't realize this until we did the show. That artist would have been a really great artist. Amy, darling, don't you know you? else from off the deep end andrew you wanted to note no i just reiterate my position that i think weird al is at his best when he's writing originals mm -hmm. and it, it, is it mid-level on a weird al scale when he is doing uh um parodies and, and then when it's just doing the juxtaposition like, like i i i laughed i laughed when you said that uh, kurt cobain was like is it about food because that that is the like did you all know this there was an algorithm there's a there's a a, a professor at, I think it's Virginia Tech, that wrote a, a computer program that just takes existing lyrics to songs and rewrites them and, it's, uh, and, and makes them parody. It's called the Weird Al Algorithm. And <laughs> the I, Weird I, Algorithm, right? Yeah, the, the, weird, excuse, the Weird Algorithm, yeah. Uh, and it's like, yeah, I totally get how that works because when he, when he does these individual banner song lampoons, I, again, I, I do think they can get kind of old pretty quick of, ah, yes, this thing that is mundane is being amusingly juxtaposed to this thing, which is not. I, I got it, right? So the other stuff I like more. I mean, I'll say this. You Don't Love Me Anymore is a great song, and it's the one original song from this. I, actually, I, I like the Dirty Laundry knockoff that Scott was talking about You know, when I was young, when I was your age. Uh, but I really like You Don't Love Me Anymore. The video is, is totally apropos. Mm -hmm. I think they had to make a video for it, so we did it in a parody of More Than Words, which yeah. is this weird acoustic song. The video is the song itself is not like that. Uh, it's just like you don't love me anymore. Of course, how are the normal reasons you recognize someone doesn't love you anymore? Well, you know, you notice that they're spending time like reading letters or they're on their phone, they're talking to other people, they don't seem to pay attention to your thoughts anymore. No, the way Weird Al knows that you don't love me anymore is that you're trying to kill me <laughs> in six different ways. And so it's just one joke after another about horrible things that this person has apparently done to him and again it is the it's writerly humor it's humor that works on the page and it works you know in the context of the song you know i even think it's kind of cute the way you poison my coffee just a little each day i still remember the way that you laughed when you pushed me down the elevator shaft oh if you don't mind me asking what's this poisonous cobra doing in my underwear drawer sometimes I get to thinking you don't love me
where I started to fear, like, is this a straight jacket for him? And the funniest thing about Weird Al is that he was actually, in my mind, about to break out of it. Not with the next album, right. which yeah. is terrible. It's Alapalooza is the next one. It's, and it's the one album in his career that feels rushed. It feels yes. like, oh, we had the hit. We have the sale. We've got we've to capitalize. We've got to have Scott, something Scott, do you know how many there. times, Scott, I have actually just bleated on Twitter in dismay? Why the f*** do people like the song MacArthur Park? I don't. Yeah, I, I, I don't like it and I never understood why, and why would you parody it. it? I, and yeah. so here's Weird Al's big Jurassic Park parody. And you know what? I'm going to tell you this. I think okay, this is me giving the devil his due. I think Weird Al does a better job with it than anyone else. <laughs> but um, it's still a bad song. It's still a bad song. And, you know, there's there's an ACDC style thing here, which is which is okay. You know, Bedrock Anthem is a Red Hot Chili Peppers uh, a parody to to give it away. But the Red Hot is, Chili Peppers are terrible already. Right, and Living in the Fridge. This is his least memorable album again. It feels rushed, except for one. One, one, exactly one. one and we song. know what it is. It's the, it's the REM one, right? Of course it is. It's Frank's, Frank's 2000, 2000 inch, inch TV. Which um, is a beautiful, it's 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 Fables of the Reconstruction era REM. Driver he, A, he just Maps and Legends, yep. that kind of a sound. Yes. Um, he even nails the Mike Mills backing vocals. Yes! Like he gets that. Well, that's his uh, natural that tone, right. actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a, it's got a fabulous uh, bridge to it. It includes like the mandolin that REM was using very uh, liberally at the time. A glorious acapella break. The story. I mean, the story is about a guy who buys a two thousand inch TV. <laughs> Robert De Niro's mold is ten feet wide. I can watch The Simpsons from thirty blocks away. Uh, that's like just. When the music is good, yeah. the jokes land that much better mm-hmm. because it's just like you're landing in like a, a, a soft cushion. Because God, I love the idea of Robert Robert De Niro's There's Frank remote control. You can look, but don't touch it, please. Cause Frank's the one in charge, and he decides what everybody sees. The pictures crystal clear, and everything is magnified. Robert De Niro's mole has got to be ten feet wide. Everybody in the town, everybody in the town can hear those 90,000 watts of gold. And here's how you know, actually, Alapalooza is not quite what it should have been, because just about every single Weird Al album begins with the big parody and ends with a song for the fans. It ends with a song that the diehards could appreciate, and that's where you get The Night Santa Went Crazy and Albuquerque and all the... And and, and I didn't mention earlier, but uh, uh, Nature Trail to Hell, which is (laughs) one of my favorite songs. Those are the last songs. What's the last song on Alapalooza? It's the, I can't polka. polka. it's the polka. It's uh, the polka, not a polka melody, but it's Bohemian no, it's Rhapsody. Just, it's, it's, it's a polka. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is that yeah, Bohemian Rhapsody. It's a decent song. I've never loved it, but there's there's less creativity when it's just one song. Mm-hmm. 
So exactly, yeah, exhaustion, creative exhaustion. And, you know, ironically, Scott, you talked about beginning and ending with great songs. Well, the next one, which is, I guess, and I never thought I would ever say this about a man called Weird Al Yankovic, the beginning of his creative revival, um, Bad Hair Day. Well, actually, but before before we jump into this, I, th- I think your thesis that this is rushed is completely correct. And I think yeah. Al, Al, Weird Al is aware of this and acts accordingly for the rest of his life. So uh, Off the Deep End comes out in 1992. Mm-hmm. Alapalooza comes out 1993. There's a one-year gap. Uh, by the way, this one of the things you see with just regular non-musical comedy, although it probably pertains to musical comedy as well, is you'll have a, a stand-up comedian that does great with their, breakup, uh, their breakout album. And then their second album will be like, eh, what happened there? What happened there is that guy spent 10 years <laughs> building up his career uh-huh. and working on these jokes until they were really good, really tight he, jokes. He got, he got his hard five, then his hard 40, and then right, now he, exactly. he doesn't and, have. And that's, right. Exactly. It's, it, he spent 10 years, let's say a minimum of six years, probably eight years working on this. And then the, the, the company comes and goes, hey, that was great. Can you do this again next year? We'll give you a million dollars. And they go, uh, yeah. And so I think this has basically happened. I, I don't know that he that off the deep end was that much of a success, but in any case, he does Alapalooza one year later, then deep end, I think realizes it because then the the, the discography thereafter is always a three-year gap. Mm-hmm. Bad Hair Day comes out in 1996, three years later. After that, Running With Scissors, three years after uh, 1999. Poodle Hat, three years after that, 2003. Straight Out of Linwood, 2006. Right. It, it, he starts paying, and then, he, and then there's a five-year gap, then another three-year gap, and he starts building in a buffer for himself so that doesn't happen. You know, he doesn't talk about this stuff, so nobody can know for sure, but just you know, understanding how creative impulses work, my guess is that he thought he was dead after the failure of UHF. Mm-hmm. And then when Off the Deep End goes big, he's like, am I ever going to get this chance again? So no, I'm going. You're right. Throw me a million dollars. I'll put out anything because what am I going to have another shot? It didn't work. And then he realized, and this is the ironic part, which is now from the rest of the, the rest of these albums are all shockingly even. And I mean, for me at least, surprisingly great. Because they all have the same flaws. A lot of these parodies are lame because they've dated the songs you don't remember. But the ones that hang on, hang on because they're timeless and weird and fascinating and brilliant and witty. And then, and this is the most surprising aspect of all, he's coming into his own as a songwriter. He's becoming a really really brilliant clever witty songwriter he can try any style do anything bad hair day he comes out this is of course the one you know everyone knows amish paradise right Mm -hmm. i i think this is this is for me this is his peak album this is my favorite weird al album this is this is is where i fell in love with him it's just it's great it's really good it has a high number of originals that are fantastic Mm -hmm. um going back to that whole exposing you to genres that you didn't know Weirdly enough, I was unfamiliar with uh, urban or rap music or, or whatever Gangster's Paradise, the, the genre that that would fall into by Coolio. So this was my first. Yeah. I, I had never heard that before, but I heard Amish Paradise and that kind of, you know, thumping, swinging beat to it that was new to me. Okay, we're now. Hitching up the buggy, churning lots of butter, raise the barn on Monday, soon I'll raise another. Think you're really righteous? Think you're pure in heart? Well, I know I'm a million times as humble as thou art. I'm the pious guy, the little omelets wanna be like on my knees day and night, scoring points for the afterlife. So don't be vain and don't be whiny, or else my brother, I might have to get medieval on your hiney. We've been spending most our lives living in an Amish paradise. We're all crazy men in an 
I'm going to sound so glamed to you. We sang this in, oh, God help me, theater camp. Yes. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. I we keep, I keep it, trying, we without anybody revealing camp. it, without anybody revealing it, the, the amount of nerddom converging here is so intense. I keep wondering who of us lost his virginity first. And I can't, t- I, I keep having to revise this every 20 minutes. We're like, no, I think that guy lost his virginity last. If it, if it helps with the calculation, I didn't go to theater camp, but I did go two years back to back to yearbook camp when I was in high school. So so all of us lost it in our 40s? Is that what I'm getting to based on what you're saying? I lost it after my first child. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, this is the funny thing. Amish Paradise opens the album, of course, and we are, we're all laughing about it. But this is why some of these parodies will live on forever. Because as you know, Scott said to me in our comments you know, when we were talking about this early on, and as I pointed out about King of Suede, that's a world, man. I want to live in that Amish world where, like, you know, if you don't hit me, I'll laugh at you because I know you're going to hell. <laughs> you know, I can't even remember all the lines. It would do injustice to the song for me to try to recite the gags. Just listen to it or read the lyrics. But yeah, when he just turns Gangsta's Paradise, which is itself, of course, you know, yeah. a rip off of Pastime Paradise by Stevie Wonder. Uh, and then he just takes it into a different world. Well, here's a completely different, wholly alienate, alienating world that you might not understand, except it's weirdly wholesome. That's wonderful. That's weird out through and through. This we are all going to agree. This is one of his the highlights of his career, and the originals are so outstanding. The, the, I think the parody the polka is incredible. Yes, this is one of his best. Pol- yeah, I was about to agreed. say that this is one of his best polkas. Uh, I, I I I even like the U two uh, parody, which is called Cavity Search, but it's based on that one from Batman Forever or Batman Around. And I thought it before. Me, I Shirley. didn't. I didn't know. I thought it was going to be about like you know airport TSA things. No. Thank God. It's about the dentist. Thank God it was about a visit to the dentist's office. Um, from the originals, uh, I'm so sick of you as an Elvis Costello pastiche. So it's right, right, right in my wheelhouse. And he nails it, of course. He absolutely nails it. He delivers the first line of the song better than Elvis Costello could deliver the line, which is, mm-hmm. you tell a joke and forget the punchline. And the way, the intonation, the way he pops it, it is absolutely perfect. And of course, uh, Jim Schwartz, the drummer, nails Pete Thomas's sound on the drums. The organ is pretty easy to, to replicate that sound. It's a, it's a pump it up, essentially pump it up, right? But the pummeling Scott, drums, Scott, it's just so good. Yes. I'm going to tell you, this is my one line note. This is who Elvis Costello actually is, not who he <laughs> thinks he is. And when you softly call my name, it's like I'm listening to a squeaky chalk sound. That is 
so good. <laughs> and that's it. And that's it. And it, it's so beautiful. Oh, by the way, a, a, another original. I remember Larry. Mm. Nobody talks about that. Well, nobody talks about Weird Al in general. But yes, the ending of that song is it's where he goes, Artie. <clears throat> you notice how that song starts as a pop song and then it just drifts off into art rock halfway through, and then it becomes this weird long chugging fade out. And I again, I listen to that the first time and I start to imagine. What is the Weird Al artist, original album artist that could have been? What were you going to say, though, Andrew? I Remember Larry is a fantastic song. The originals on here are great. I Remember Larry is wonderful. The Night Santa Went Crazy is wonderful. Everything oh, You Know Is Wrong things. is very high energy. I, I Remember Larry I like best, though, because Everything You Know Is Wrong, I was listening to it as I was walking the dog out this morning. Um, just, you know, as, as I do every morning. I didn't even realize I was doing the show till later. It's, it's just <laughs> coincidental. Uh, but... but I was listening to everything you know is wrong, and it, it's fun. It's very, it's very high and upbeat, but it's kind of like um, when you when you read Douglas Adams, when when the humor is less about funny quippy and more about randomosity, mm-hmm. everything you know is wrong fits that bill. Of it's just it's so many random things that the humor is derived from. You're right. Random, it's, a, it's a pinball machine. It's just right. like yeah. where and, can I send it to the most random it, place? Exactly. Possible? And so once you've once you've heard it a couple of times, the surprise is gone and it loses that punch. Whereas I remember Larry is both funny at the granular level and is also making a comedic arc that is in and of itself a thing. So Larry is doing all these uh, amusingly horrible things like put, putting Ben Gay inside my jock strap, et cetera, et cetera. And then the the final stanza is, hey, remember the time I, I drug him out into a field and murdered him? Uh, or I, I don't remember the exact lyrics, but like it like it's like you I finally you, killed my bully. <laughs> It's, it's 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 a it's a comedy sketch. Like when you're doing sketches, you're doing you're doing uh, the first beat. You're, you're doing a zig. You're doing a, uh, a zig, and then you're doing a zag. So there's the funny thing. There's the funny thing. We're going to escalate it a little bit, and then we're going to take the funny thing in a whole different direction because we want to subvert that pattern. And that's what Weird Al does in this one. He's he's creating a comedy sketch by making a, a pattern and then subverting it. The pattern is inherently funny. The macro pattern is also funny. I'll never forget about disagree on everything you know is wrong i'll let jeff explain why because i know he feels the same way but that is one of his greatest original songs it's a on a musical level we all i mean yes i, I get exactly what andrew's talking about as the, this is the pinball thing mm-hmm. it's random free association but of course what he's trying to do is be they might be giants and of course that was kind of the hallmark of they might be giants i was just talking the other day, I was like, I think this is better than any They Might Be Giants song I'm aware of, except <laughs> of one or two, maybe. It's just, just it's intensely compact, melodic brilliance. 
it's three and a half minutes, and there are about seven thousand chord changes, and everything. All, every one of them makes sense. It's not just you know throwing darts at a wall. It's a really well constructed song. I was driving on the freeway in the fast lane with a rabbit Wolverine in my underwear. When suddenly a guy behind me in the backseat popped right up and cupped his hands across my eyes. I guess they said Uncle Frank or Cousin Louie. Is it Bob or Joe or Walter? Could it be Bill or Jim or Ed or Bernie or Steve? I probably would have kept on guessing, but about that time we crashed into the truck. And as I'm laying bleeding there on the asphalt, finally I recognize the face of my Talk about the night that went crazy, or should we along a little bit? But oh, I'm going to tell you this: if, if we're talking about, I remember Larry talking about joke songs. This is what I mean when I said that Weird Al came into his own as a writer on this album. Yeah. The night Santa went crazy is I, I'm, I'm almost embarrassed. We did an entire Christmas ep- Christmas songs episode of Political Beats, and it was before I started obviously listening to him. We didn't include this song, and I regret it forever. I can't remember um, why I didn't. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> oh God. Okay. Listen. You know. You even know the you the night Santa went crazy. So you you already know the pitch. It's gonna be oh Santa's gonna go maniac. He's gonna be a gun crazy maniac, right? And yet he turns it into the most beautiful a Phil Spector song and b witty and brutally bleak humor observation of what would actually happen if Santa. Went full Rambo, um, yeah, full with the, you know the it's like an L.A. choppers circling. The SWAT teams are out, uh, and of course the, you know the the great final verse, which I'll, I will never forget hearing for the first time earlier this year, which is "Yes, Virginia, Santa Claus is dead." The SWAT team put a bullet <laughs> through his head, uh, and that's what happens when Santa goes you know you know full postal. Come on, he ground up poor Rudolph into reindeer sausage. He got dancer and prancer with an old German Luger, and he slashed no, 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 up no, 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 just, what just did like he do Freddy Krueger. He, 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 he took he, off a piece some, of Blitzen. Somebody tastes just like chicken. Yeah, with barbecue Blitzen. Tastes just yeah. like chicken. Yeah. Look, look I, this is this is dark. This is bleak. This is you're not supposed to laugh at, it, especially in this era, for <laughs> God's sake. You know, with like mass shootings and everything. But and for some reason, and this is going to sound strange, but that actually makes it funnier and more poignant for me because. Black humor becomes blacker and more funny when you have to laugh at horrible things that are actually happening in real life. So, yeah, these things are happening in real life, and it makes it even funnier nowadays to think about, uh, well, what would but happen I, if Santa again, actually I, did it too? There's the National Guard and the FBI. There's a van from the Eyewitness News and helicopters circling round in the sky. Virginia, 
Now Santa's doing time In a federal prison For his infamous crime Hey little friend now Don't you cry no more tears He'll be out with good behavior In 700 more years But now victims in therapy And Donner's still nervous And the elves all got jobs Working for the postal service And they say Mrs. Claus She's on the phone every night With a lawyer I have to say, like, like you know, I, whatever you find that you love that brings you happiness, by all means, do it to the hilt. I, I'm not, I'm not here to lecture anybody, but I do think that Weird Al really is like the patron saint of middle school boys. Yes. <laughs> like, like we, Weird Al is the spirit animal avatar of a a, a a a awkward, lanky middle school boy trying to do these things. Like, like you talked about earlier, Jeffrey. Like we were all making these dumb parodies. You'd be, you'd be playing t-ball or baseball or whatever, and we'd all have like you know, uh, Jingle Bells, Batman Smells, and like stupid stuff like that, right? He's doing that at an ethereal level from the perspective of a middle school student. And he's also introducing so many forms of humor that you, that as you get older, you do see different places. You follow it, on, you find it, out. I look at the references. There's like, okay, uh, the song Dare to be Stupid. This thing, you know, uh, you know, we will sell no wine before it's time. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what the heck does that mean? Because, you know, I, I listened to it when I was 1989. It's like a weird reference to Orson Welles' yeah. advertisements for Palmasan wines. Or, or, I actually chased it down. Or be a, coffee, be a coffee achiever, which would make no sense to anyone these days, but the and, national and, coffee and, and industry. So, so all these things kind of ended up forming my personal sense of humor, like the way I approach references and, 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 and understanding jokes and the sort of the archly kind of like you know we're all steeped in this coffee pot of pop culture and weird Al like throws it out and everything and, and ironically enough the next album we're going to talk about i had just entered college so i missed this at the time well, can i but can I'm, i before we jump in can i add a little yeah. bit more on santa oh um, for sure a lot of like I, I don't mean to downplay this but a lot of weird Al's humor and you find this with all musical comedy is that uh, juxtaposition remains one of the the biggest tools in the belt. Mm -hmm. So what he's doing with uh, The Night Santa Went Crazy is he's taking a Christmas song, which we associate with warmth, family, safety, um, Hugo, and he's putting it in, like back then we would have said going postal. That would have been the reference back in the day, right? Now now, right. now we, we've moved on to other more horrible things. Uh, and he's combining these two. If, if you've never seen this done before, because all... All humor has been attempted at some point in the past, and we're just we're just kind of repackaging it in brilliant ways, right? Um, if you've not seen uh, an authority figure being subverted, or you've seen something that is um, uh, lovely and warm and full of soup and gingerbread being inverted, as you are here, it's mind blowing. So, like a middle school student encountering this, this is the funniest thing in the world. I mean, it really, it really was. It, it broke taboos. It mm -hmm. was, it was saying like, oh wow, we're taking this wonderful, sweet beautiful thing and saying yes you know everything is evil and horrible and rotten and santa's got a billion holes in his head because he murdered all of the elves and all of the reindeers um but talking about middle school and stuff like that this one i was in college so i missed it at this point i was i was i was out of high school this is running with scissors and again this is what i mean when i say like i never expect to say this continues weird al's late career peak 
I think this is a great album. And I'll say the first thing I'll say about it, the lead track, The Saga Begins, which is an American Pie parody based on Star Wars, is like if it's amazing how this has not aged. And this has not aged because The Phantom Menace at the time was the new Star Wars film. But now it's become the thing that we all make fun of. And we think like that was a shitty Star Wars film. And Star Wars has never left us. So when Weird Al sings, my, my, this little little Anakin guy may become Vader sooner or later, but he's still a small fry. I just, I laugh. I laugh. I look at the video with Weird Al looking like Jim Carrey when he's shaving, and I laugh. And this is the beginning to a surprisingly great album that ends with one of his most intentional jokes ever. Now we finally got to chorus on the Jedi. to that in a moment this is in the the late 90s was a weird time for music and it's reflected here on running with scissors you have uh, a zydeco track which is actually very good my baby's in love with eddie vetter you've got uh third wave ska with your horoscope for today which also is a very good track uh essentially you know the the horoscope predictions and making taking something very general and then making it very specific to the, the gemini's and people out there you've got the swing track grapefruit diet which is a parody of uh, uh zoot suit riot from cherry pop and daddies um so it's like this checklist of this all the weird sort of unusual musical styles that for some reason had 15 minutes in the sun in 1998 and 1999 are But I want to emphasize here. that these are good songs. They, absolutely they that are. Your yes. your horoscope for today. That's a great song. Is stacked with hilarious lines. It's stacked. It's really good. Your birthday party will be ruined once again by your explosive flatulence. Your love life will run into trouble when your fiance hurls a javelin through your chest. The position of Jupiter says that you should spend the rest of the week face down in the mud. Trying to dish up a roll of duct tape up your nose while taking your driver's test. Now is not a good time to photocopy your butt and staple it to your boss's face. Oh no. Wash it down with a gallon of strawberry quick. Virgo. All Virgos are extremely 
maybe my baby's in love with Eddie Vedder. Well, you know, I can understand because like, here again, this is I don't know that I I'm, I've probably heard an Eddie Vedder song. This is certainly the first reference to Eddie Vedder I ever heard in my life. Yeah. You weren't a big Pearl Jam fan back in the day. I, I might have. I This is how like I I again, I, I'm the two kids with a trench coat trying to sneak into rated R movies and all things that feel cool. <laughs> like I just found out that Darius Drucker, who does uh, a wagon wheel. Great song is Hootie and the Blowfish. Mm -hmm. My mind was blown. Also, <laughs> turns out he's black. Didn't know that either. It's, and it's imagine all, what you would have. My whole life is upended. Imagine what you would have thought if you know later that he'd become a country artist. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like there were so many surprises in store. But yeah, I, I just, you know, this album, uh, the style parodies and the originals Whoa. really work for me. Like there's, he does a Nine Inch Nails song, yes. which, which is, I actually showed it. I, we had uh, Jane Coaston on uh, for our Nine Inch Nails episode, and, and she's the one who made me into a fan of theirs. And I asked her, I was like, you've heard the song, right? She's like, listen, I listened to that song as a kid, and I thought, Al, he understood. <laughs> he, he knew. He knew. He got it. He got he got Trent Reznor and the it way is. Trent Reznor assembles music. It's perfect. Uh, it's from it's... The, the mechanical push, pill, push and pull, the... Uh, the, 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 the really confined like paranoia that, that those kind of chanted backing vocals that are he got it all and it's about well it's about germs clearly but you know germs they're everywhere they're on me you can't get rid of them which is kind same. of a nine inch nails yes. appropriate theme right it's like yes. filth yes. disease you know like the you know that it's in the style I believe that uh, Polka Power is his finest polka compendium. Uh, it like that that is the most fun one. Like I, I like that he does these sort of billboard synopses with an accordion. But uh, he, I think like if you started playing this, I don't remember what my my blood type is, but I could probably sing the lyrics to all of this from how many times <laughs> I, I I sang this back in the day. Ghetto superstar, everybody walking on the sun, intergalactic, tub thumping, ray of light push semi-charmed kind of life dope show i mean all of these songs were just constant throughout the late 90s and early 2000s and, and by like in middle school and in high school and he's packaging him in this pithy frothy jump up and down uh polka song it's great intergalactic planetary planetary intergalactic intergalactic planetary planetary intergalactic intergalactic planetary planetary intergalactic Down, but I get up again, you're never gonna keep me down. I get knocked down, but I get up again, you're never gonna keep me down. I get knocked down, but I get up again, you're never gonna keep me down. I get knocked down, but I get up again, you're never gonna keep me down. I get knocked down, but
All right, Jeff. Tell us about Albuquerque. Well, Albuquerque, of course, is a song where a man gets up one day and starts reminiscing about his childhood and <laughs> somehow finds his way to Albuquerque. No, what it is is it is an 11 and a half minute long shaggy dog joke. Now, people sometimes use that term. We have a comedian on the show. I don't have to explain it to you. It, it just rambles and it rambles. And, of course, the point of the joke is not the punchline unless you're bad at what you're doing. The point of the joke is all of the places that you go along the way and the little jokes that you make in between the cracks, all those little observational things, the word choices you use, and then you end with a bang. And what I realized, never having heard this song until literally yesterday, is that it is, in musical form, uh, a joke by my single favorite comedian of all time. It's a Norm MacDonald joke. It is the moth joke. It is, you know, it ends with I hate sauerkraut. And and that is the point of the joke. Actually, that's only the first punchline. The second punchline is that I'm just really glad that there's a place like this in the world that's called Albuquerque. Um, and what you do to get from point A to point B in the middle is the entire point of the song. And it is the point where I finally just threw my hands up in the air and conceded, yeah, Weird Al Yankovic. He's not a parody artist, and this is not kitsch. He's making real art. So finally I go over and I open the door, and just as I suspected, it's some big fat hermaphrodite with a flock of seagulls haircut and only one nostril. Oh man, I hate it when I'm right. So anyway, he bursts into my room and he grabs my lucky snorkel, and I'm like, hey, you can't have that. That snorkel's been just like a snorkel to me. And he's like, tough. And I'm like, give it. And he's like, make me. And I'm like, okay. So I grabbed his leg and he grabbed my esophagus and I bit off his ear and he chewed off my eyebrows and I took out his appendix and he gave me a colonic irrigation. Yes, indeed, you better believe it. And somehow in the middle of it all, the phone got knocked off the hook. And 20 seconds later, I heard a familiar voice. And you know what it said? I'll tell you what it said. It said, if you'd like to make a call, please hang up the dry again. If you need help, hang up and then We have four albums to get to here as we sort of get through the back end of Al's career. But it's not to slight it by calling it back end because all of these albums are quality. They all, they all hew to the same principle, which is that the parodies will live or die based on how relevant they remain. And it's hard. But, it's hard these days because the monoculture is gone. The yes. quality, quality of the songs is less than it was back then. You don't know which ones are going to hold up quite as well into the right. future. I also dislike the fact that around this time, um, so many of the songs he's parodying are have this mechanical programmed backbeat. So you miss that joy of hearing this great band that's been together now for 40 years uh, mimic the original and then just twist it by 10% to get it a little bit off. You don't quite have that anymore because it's something that's sort of been programmed. And I, that, that leaves me, I, I lament that a little bit. Well, that's why you like to hear stuff like when they're playing like Wanna Be Your Lover on Poodle Hat, which is like, 
I guess it's a Prince parody. Are well, all those it's kind, of, kind of back? Yeah, yeah, it's more back. Yeah, well, because, okay, well, when Beck was doing Midnight Vultures, he was doing Prince, right? Yeah. So, it's like, again, it's like three steps back. We're all, we're all tributing one another here. I want to be your lover, baby. I need somebody to love. You know I just want to be your lover, baby. Now I need somebody to love. Or should I walk by again? My love for you's like diarrhea. I just can't hold it in. Stop, drop, and roll now. Cause baby, you're on fire. I bet your outfit. Then there's a song on this album called Bob. And it's the one that I really want to sing you out. Uh, it is almost a direct song parody but not quite it's a style parody nominally but of course it's subterranean homesick blues by bob dylan and this is one of the things where i some jokes are so good you don't want to give them away (laughs) you just want to say listen to the clip and then please go to the video yeah i will explain only by saying if you watch the video the joke is going to make so much more sense and I, I, as I started my journey through, you know, Yankovic's career, I thought, when's he going to get to a Dylan pastiche? Because he's trying all these other artists. And then I thought to myself, this, is, this really happened. I thought that'll be hard for him because Dylan is so poetic and so kind of like <laughs> out there in the ether. Like you really have to have art in your soul to like try that. You can't do it as a joke. Weird Al Yankovic found the perfect and I believe only way to ever parody Bob Dylan. That song. I just stand up, I tip my cap. Ah, Satan sees Natasha, no devil lived on. Lonely Tylenol, not a banana baton. No Exxon Nixon, oh, Stone B, not so. Oh, Geronimo, no minor ego. Naomi, I'm on. Hey, Toyota's a Toyota. A dog, a panic in a pagoda. Gypsies run Senile felines Now I see bees I won UFO tofu We panic in a pew Uzi rat In a sanitary zoo Got a red nugget A fat egg under a dog Go hang a salami I'm a lasagna hog Poodle Hat, which is the 2003 release that has Bob and Wanna Be Your Lover. I actually think the first half is weak. I think it might be his weakest work since Alapalooza, the first half of the album. The the Couch Potato parody, which was the lead, the uh, Eminem uh, Lose Yourself parody, is not good. I, I, I do not like it. Uh, it's actually the fifth the fifth consecutive album with a critique of modern television. You go from You Can't Watch This to Talk Soup to Syndicated Incorporated to Jerry Springer on the last album to Couch Potato. All right, I'm done with that. 
Um, but the second half is good. Second half has Bob on it. Second half has uh, a Ben Folds uh, tribute called Why Does This Always Happen to Me, which is very, very good. Ben Folds which plays ben piano. Which Ben Folds inevitably played on, by yep. the way, which um, I love. And I think eBay, honestly, is one of his best parodies. It's somewhere in the top 10, 15 team picture. Uh, I Want It That Way, which I think is Backstreet Boys, but don't quote me. It could be in sync. It I don't is. remember. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, references to, to, to the experience of buying on eBay, buying an Alpha Alarm Clock or a Kleenex used by Dr. Dre. And Al, again, is successful because he writes from a voice of experience. He's not trying to fake his way through this stuff, just like living with a hernia. There's, there's little details on the eBay song, like uh, he says he's the kind of guy who would snipe you with two seconds left to go on an auction. If you ever bought stuff on eBay, you know what that's like. You're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting, you're the top bidder, and then someone pops in seconds before it expires and grabs it underneath you. He references that in eBay. It's just a really sharp parody. Tell me why I need another pet rock. Tell me why I got that alpha alarm clock. Tell me why I bid on Shatner's old toupee that had it on eBay. I'll buy your knick-knack. Just check. song back on was it bad hair day all about the pentiums which of course nobody remembers it's all about the benjamins but if you go listen to that song i think i joked about this on twitter it's the jurassic park like you know mosquito trapped in amber of 1995 <laughs> yeah. your internet culture mm-hmm. like everything about get, like, getting owned by the noobs and like you know you, you're less useless than a jpeg to helen keller things like that like I mean, it's just like it's fascinating if for no other reason than you hear it now as we moved on and you are it's the member berries oh god south park got there first yes it's the member berries you just remember what it was like to grow up from that era uh, his next album would have his highest charting single ever, but I wanted to give Andrew an opportunity to sort of squeeze in here as we get to these last few albums. So this is where uh, I, if 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 Weird Al is an iceberg of talent poking up out of the water, <laughs> the 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 bit that is visible to me in my life is Bad Hair Day and Running with Scissors. That th- those are the two albums that I find at the height of my Weird Al fandom and listen to and sing all the time. And then like, I think everything else I'm trying to get from Napster or something to that effect. I, I apparently several songs I thought were Weird Al were not Weird Al. It's just that back in the day, if there yes. was a funny song on Napster, it was yes. a Weird Al song. <laughs> um, so, I'm willing to bet. I'm willing to bet you got the song. Don't download this song from Napster. Probably. That sounds like something I would do. So bad hair day uh, running with scissors. These are like, I'm there. Poodle Hat um, comes out the year I graduate from high school and go to college, and I am I'm out. I'm no longer paying attention to Weird Al at this point. I don't dislike the guy or anything. I just don't have it, and it, I swing. You need back to lose. You need to finally lose your virginity. 
Yes, exactly. Listen, you are literally 21 at this point. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely lost it then. Uh, For anybody, yeah, you could, yeah, for sure. Uh, That that freshman year, yes, absolutely. Call Katie. Uh, and I, anyway, straight straight out of Linwood. She's in Canada, though. She's hard to find. Yeah, she. You can't. Uh, you know what? She's. Uh, she's still. She, at, she. She lives in Saskatchewan. <laughs> she's hard to contact. Yeah, she's over at the. She. Well, she, uh, she's an accountant for Victoria's Secret now. Uh, but she's still she's, very but, hot. She's. She's C sweet. She doesn't like to talk. You know. She doesn't do Twitter. But yeah, <laughs> ask anybody. We woke up the whole dorm with our, our frantic, <laughs> frantic lovemaking. The. The energy of it was so much that it, it redirected traffic from See, but that's various good. air controls. The thing, uh, though, is that that's good for me because I was never in this, and that, that makes it more fascinating. I was falling out similarly. I had gone to college, too, and I was like, I was becoming a music snob. So like, I wasn't listening to the charts, and that made me like hard. It's yes. like so yeah, many of yeah. the, like, the, quote, song parodies from these eras. Yes. I'm just like, I don't even know the original, and I don't care. Uh, sometimes when the original is so good, it punches through. So what I end up finding is that I don't care about the quote flagship tracks or the ones that you're supposed to laugh at because you know like they're parodies of popular trends. I just go for like the, what did he write, and mm-hmm. those end up holding up pretty damn well, including the weird smile parody. There's this thing oh, called yes. pancreas. Yeah. Oh God, I had to mention it. Uh, straight out of Linwood. Okay. This Which thing is a very is, strong album. It's a pretty great record, actually, right? Even even White and Nerdy, which I'm not a huge fan of. It's it's another one of his sort of like legendary songs. But I got to talk about Pancreas because this is like I'm in great shape. It's Cabanescence. It's, mm-hmm. you know, like six other Smile Era outtakes, which you have to remember. This is 1996. Nobody had ever heard any of that stuff. That stuff was unreleased. So he was doing a parody that only hardcore music nerds would even be able to appreciate. They wouldn't even be able to recognize that as Beach Boys unless they were like me, basically. <laughs> um, God, it's so beautiful and it's so true to the form. My pancreas attracts every other pancreas in the universe with a force, with a force proportional to the product of their masses and inversely Proportional to the distance between them. Don't you know you gotta flow, 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 pancreatic juice, flow, flow, into the duodenum, won't you flow, 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 pancreatic juice, flow, flow, into the duodenum. There's, um, I think the original, or the, you know, the original pastiches here are really good. There's a Rage Against the Machine one called I'll Sue Ya, which is all the silly reasons that he might sue you. Um, I, 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 I like it more the, than any Rage song. Me too. That's the way uh, I sued. I sued Delta because they sent me, uh, they sold me a ticket to New Jersey, and I went, and it sucked. <laughs> There's a lot of really neat little couplets in there. Uh, but my favorite song on this record, and I think it's just going to miss my top five. Uh, do you like cake, Jeff? Oh, I do. I really do. But it was good. I was going to name a different one. But okay. Yes, well, me, I'll I talk about this. I love cake and loved it in high school. And uh, go on. Yeah. <laughs> the band. You know what? Cake. Listen. You know the cake is warm and moist. And why don't you talk about this fantastic style parody? Uh, the style parody of cake. Who 
is ripe for this. I mean, Cake does so many things that are uniquely Cake. The the vibraphone, the the weird shouts, the oh yeah, and the stuff. And you're right, Cake is just ripe for this sort of thing. The the horns that pop in and out. And Al puts together this just glorious song called Close But No Cigar in which a guy finds the tiniest imperfections with the most perfect women in the world. It's Seinfeld. And, and, and the joke of Seinfeld is that Jerry was always yes. breaking up with a girl because, like, oh, she laughs in a weird way or, like, I don't like the way she, like, picks up the check. And, guys, like, look, it's that. all three of us can relate to this, right? I mean, how many right. women have we, you know, tossed away because of some I minor I have thrown away supermodels by the bucket full because, man, if I do not like those shoes, don't even come. All right, um, I, I only ever just dated Katie. I don't know if I mentioned this my <laughs> freshman year, but it was pretty loud, frantic lovemaking for sure. But uh, and I, I just, I've never, I've never gotten over it. I've never gotten over it. Al, Al's pissed off because one girl uses infer when she means imply. One owns a DVD of Joe Dirt, um, and, and then the the chorus changes each time. And this is, I just, I think it's just brilliant. Uh, you know, she's, he's like, girl, are we are we playing horseshoes, honey? I don't think we are. The next time, are we lobbing hand grenades? The last one, are we doing government work here? Nope. You're close, but no cigar. Jillian was her name. She was sweeter than aspartame. Her kisses reconfigured my DNA. And after that, I never was the same. And I loved her. As a guy who spent his entire early life working for the government, <laughs> close enough for government work, which is to say yes. that we, you know, we slop it up because we don't care because we're the government. Yeah. We can make mistakes. I, I don't know if I he invented it. that line. I suspect not because no, no, he did. Oh, no, it's no. old. It's old. Yeah, my, my father's used it, so there's no way that it originated with Weird Al. But it is a good line. Dude, there are actually this is such a remarkably strong album. Virus Alert, another one that is both hilarious that it's still relevant. Everything about that clicking on your phishing emails will send everyone running for the hills and everybody in your like your at list is going to get screwed but also the fact that it's a sparks parody hey everyone listen up your attention if you please we want to give you a warning because i found out this morning about a dangerous insidious computer virus if you should get an email with a subject stinky cheese better not go taking the chances under no circumstances should you open it or else it It's gonna make your computer screen freeze Look out, erase the easter eggs off your DVDs Look out, erase your hard drive and your backups too And the hard drive of anyone related to you Virus alert, you need immediately before someone gets hurt Forward this message on to everybody Soon very The Mail Brothers 
like like even the video if you see it's an animated video and they have a weird owl guy who has the hitler mustache playing keyboard and he's singing in that high little squeaky voice sparks is a band that you know maybe on our eighth season of political beats we'll get to but i love them too um i guess it's weird to talk about this the day after r kelly was sentenced to 30 years in prison right but i do like trapped in the drive-thru um i like it because um, now I'm very proud to say it's way better than the original song. <laughs> and it, again, it's one of these long story songs that he ends his albums with where it's just like such a, a long picaresque that captures all the real moments. I can't tell you how many times, man, I've just been like, uh, okay, uh, pick up my wife, pick up the bopper. Oh, let's go to Portillo's. Oh, shit, there's a line. Oh, no, we're arguing about things. And then I'm trapped in the drive-thru. I heard this song, and I never liked R. Kelly, and I've hated him ever more since then. But I like Weird Al. And thank you, Weird Al, for redeeming it. She says, wait a minute. Your voice sounds so familiar. Hey, is this Paul? And my wife is all like, no, that ain't Paul. Now tell me, who's this Paul? She says, oh, he's just some guy who goes to school with me. I sat behind him last year and I copied off of him in geometry. I said, I know a guy named Paul. He used to be my plumber. He was prematurely bald. And he moved to Pittsburgh last summer. He also had bladder problems and a really bad infection on his toe. And she says, Mr. Please, you can stop right there. That's way more than I needed to know. And then we both were quiet and things got real intense. And then she says, next window, please, that'll be $5.82. So we inched ahead in line, moving painfully slow. I got a little bored, so I turned on the radio. Alpocalypse. Uh, follows next he did this thing in between where he did some digital distribution of uh four or five songs they i believe all end up on alpocalypse which is was also held back he was waiting for permission from lady gaga to do uh born this way as performed this way this was nearly a big mix-up too where the manager said no without even consulting lady gaga she found out about it after al posted it to uh youtube and eventually got the permission ended up on the album was the was the first big single the one I want to mention here is uh, a song called Skipper Dan, which is just a beautiful song. I think it's supposed to be a Weezer thing, but it sounds far more to me like it a band. It doesn't sound like that, anything. It sounds like Weird Al. I think it sounds like him talking about himself. I think honestly. it sounds like the DNA of Weird Al and Fountains of Wayne mixed together. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. But I mean, like that lyric, okay, because people kept on saying, you know, check out this song, and I realized it. What's the song about? It's about a guy who's like, I have a lot of really great artistic ambitions, but here I am running like the Disneyland tour ride, you know, pointing out. Jungle you know, Cruise, yep. The Jungle Cruise, right? Here's the hippos, and here's the gators, and all that stuff. He's like, but I, I really want to be an artist, and it's a witty lyric. It's funny, and you just like it for that. You can take it on its face. But then you think about it, and you think about Okay, there's just absolutely zero percent chance that Weird Al isn't writing about the way he's felt in his career too, where he has real art and real talent and real ambitions, and yet he's been forced into this little comedic oh parody song straight check. I can't release a new album without a big hit to hang it on, you know that kind of a thing. And so yeah, this is a song that is great and funny and beautifully melodic on its own, 
And yet it may be the one song in his entire career that I think has an added layer of poignance because I think it's maybe the one of the few times I ever think he's in a vague or disguised way talking about himself. I was sure that Tarantino would be calling me on the phone and he'd leave a visit to me for Rolling Stone but the years have come and gone and I'm sorry to say that's not the way that it's all worked out. I'm a tour guide on the Jungle Cruise ride Skipper Dan is the name and I'm doing Shows every day, every time it's the same. Look at those hippos, they're wiggling their ears, just like they've done for the last 50 years. Now I'm laughing at my own jokes, but I'm crying inside, cause I'm working on the jungle cruise ride. Oh, the critics they used to say. I was the new Olivier Thought I'd be the toast of Sundance Or maybe can Ah, but don't bother trying to IMDB me The only patient There's some evidence that that might be true In that he had one final album to deliver for his record label That turned out to be mandatory fun and even while promoting it, he was saying, this is it. I do not want to do any more albums. And after that, his tours have been, uh, he's done, well, one complete tour and one in the middle of now where he's just doing originals. And then he did one in between with a with a symphony orchestra. So he is, he has tried to Wait, break out. Ela- elaborate on that with a symphony, like, like it's like the Philharmonic. Like the Philadelphia Philharmonic Orchestra and Weird Al. Yeah. Hey, come on! It's like the Moody Blues, Jason Future Past, man. You know. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're, 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 they're doing the like, you know, the whole like, you know, uh, like a surgeon with strings. <laughs> I nice. No That's idea. the way it was. I, I, I have no idea what it was. Uh, that was, I think, 2019 was that tour, and so he has tried to do things differently essentially since that album was released. Uh, Mandatory Fun, I got a chance to interview Al for about eight minutes when Mandatory Fun came out, so that was a blast. Uh, and, and the song Word Crimes, which is a parody of, uh, of the Robin Thicke song, uh, which I can't remember the name of, of course, right now. Blurred Lines. Uh, Blurred Lines, thank you. Uh, well, is... again, again, as we keep saying, three layers back. because Marvin okay. Gaye, right. Blurred Line, yeah, and gotta give it up, Marvin Gaye. Yeah. Right. So it's like a parody of a... A guy that got sued for stealing yes. a song for well, yeah. But right. Word Crimes is a perfect, perfect parody. He ended and, and and maybe as you said, maybe him talking from his own voice as well. You get a few songs uh, late here, like "Don't uh, Not uh, uh, Stop Forwarding That Crap to Me" or "Word Crimes," in which you sort of feel like these are sort of personal mm-hmm. beefs for him. Like, okay, really, I mean it. Don't forward that stuff. And Word Crimes is him saying. You are all stupid. Why don't you know what a possessive is compared to a contraction or what less is compared to fewer? Don't say literally when you don't mean literally. Come on.
song. I am going to finally get those librarians on my side. That's They've been giving right. away my cassette tapes for years, and they don't have value. Really hurt my feelings. I'm going to go the grammar Nazi route, and I'm going to get them on board the Weird Al Express. Uh, uh, that's just a great song. And then, and then Jeff mentioned, too, there's one called Tacky on this, which is a parody of one of the better songs of the past decade, uh, Happy, from Pharrell. Uh, or is it Farrell? I always forget that. Uh, but, Pharrell, I, and I gotta say, like, yeah, this is like, you know, I'm not really a big fan of most mo modern music. This one is just an effortlessly beautiful song, and and that's why I'm just so glad it's like the way Al's gonna go out as as a parody artist. Because how does he go out? Well, wearing really, yeah, wearing really gauche suits <laughs> and, and and asking his date to pick up the check. I meet some chick after this and that. Like, are you pregnant, girl, or just really fat? What? Yeah. Well, now I'm dropping names almost constantly. Yeah. That's what Kanye West keeps telling me. Here's why. Because I'm tacky. Wear my Ed Hardy shirt with fluorescent orange pants. That's where we are. I mean, Mandatory Fun was his last album on the record deal. He said he didn't want to do albums and might do some digital releases more in the moment of the moment. But really, does, he has Does anybody remember the actual formal name of the current tour he's on? Didn't he call it like the Wildly Inadvised or Self-Indulgent? I think it was the, the, the Self-Indulgent Ill-Advised Vanity Tour. Yes, yes. that sounds right. <laughs> Which I will We're... see in August. So, And I'll, my I'll God, I might... If they, listen, if they circle back around to Chicago... Cripes, I might have to do it now, <laughs> because like, yes, I mean, I'm 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 surprised at how much this stuff has held up. And also, I will say this last thing before we go on to our little roundup. He kind of picked the perfect time to retire from album making. Uh -huh. Scott, you talked about how we had the monoculture fracturing, and like, you know, there's all these you know different places that we don't have this thing that we all unite upon anymore. That you can get that sort of the heat, that big magnetic heat to drive things through. So you know, the parodies aren't going to work anymore. If he wants to keep out, keep putting out like you know little original songs, I'm actually going to be there for that. One of my theses is that it, Weird Al could have been the greatest EP artist mm -hmm. of all time. If he just like released little like you know six to four six song EPs, because yeah. it would have been fantastic. There would be no filler. It'd just be all killer. Uh, but instead, these are the albums, and this is you know, the, it's like the mafia. This is the path. This is the life he has chosen, <laughs> right? But now he's retired from it. He seems to be sort of enjoying playing all of his original stuff, so. and it's actually fun. They, you guys, everyone here, you forced me to recognize. That, yeah, there's a reason people are going to sell out shows to see this guy play his original songs. This guy was a real talent. That is, the I, And I think he'll have some surprises in store. I, I think that I don't see him becoming like a Betty White uh, character that's you know going to be ever present around in the 90s because he does apparently retreat to the, the Al Bunker mm -hmm. or wherever he is. But he is such a creative force, and he is a guy that appears to get so much fun out of what he's doing that even if he retires and, and mandatory fun is his last album i would be surprised if now in his early 60s he doesn't do 
a really interesting project once every 10 years or so that just this, you know what the, he's kind of gonna he's, he, he's gonna drop some one-off single that will light twitter up like a nuclear bomb and it'll mm -hmm. happen like i don't know sometime in the next two years yeah it'll probably happen because you know weird al sometimes just knows when to hold his fire and wait and he's probably been working on those lyrics for the last four <laughs> years anyway there it is the political beats look at the life in career in music of Weird Al Yankovic, our guest Andrew Heaton. Find him on Twitter at Mighty Heaton, host of the Political Orphanage, andrewheaton.tv, link there too. We come to the part of the show where we all give you the two albums you must own, and then five parody songs you should hear, and five original songs you should hear, and our guest goes first. Andrew, we turn the floor over to you. Well, as I said, uh, I am going to recommend Bad Hair Day and Running With Scissors. These are the two that are nearest, dearest to my heart. I think that if you're going to plunge into the discography of Weird Al, I would begin with Bad Hair Day, and then I would go to Running With Scissors. Um, I think they're both fantastic albums in that regard. Uh, as I said earlier as well, I find his originals to be his most endearing and impressive work. So uh, I would say, I remember Larry, Everything You Know Is Wrong, uh, and The Night Santa Went Crazy, and then uh, on Running With Scissors, um, uh, let's see, uh, I will I will return, uh, Albuquerque. Um, and then in terms of the parody songs, I love all the Star Wars parodies best, because I think that they, <laughs> uh, uh, they, they continue to resonate with me. So I love The Saga Begins, that is uh, uh, parodizing uh, Don McLean, and I love Yoda uh, par uh, 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 paraphrasing, uh, uh, excuse me, paradising Lola. Um, so I, I would I would go with those two. I think they're great. Given that we have been discussing the the great comedic genius that is Weird Al, I'm going to infer that the people listening to the program themselves appreciate comedy. On my show, The Political Orphanage, I do an annual comedy album, uh, or I do an episode that is a comedy album every year on Christmas, a Snuffy's Christmas. So if, if you guys are not done for the day and you want to hear a comedy album, granted it's in the summer right now, were you to search for a rather Snuffy's Christmas, it's just sketch comedy. Uh, and me being influenced by Weird Al, perhaps you would enjoy it as well. All right, so for my two albums, this was actually easier than I thought it would be when going through the discography. I do think there are two that are better than the rest. Uh, In 3D, which is probably his most perfect work as an album. And then Bad Hair Day, uh, bouncing back from Alapalooza with an album with very good parodies and outstanding original songs. Those are the two albums I would pick. When it comes to the parody list of five, I recommend to you. Sorry, Jeff. I Lost on Jeopardy, I think, is his first perfect parody. That is on the list. Uh, although I will apologize to you by also picking King of Suede, which is fabulous. The little world he creates is unbelievable. Um, Living with a Hernia has been one of my favorite songs for a long time. Um, I, I will put White and Nerdy. We didn't talk a lot about White and Nerdy during the show. That is his highest uh, charting single in his career. Went to number nine. Um, and it is this, I mean, we're all nerds. We've made that pretty damn clear during the course of the program so we fit a lot of the mold on, on those folks lyrics. you've just listened to two and a half hours of weird al yankovic yeah. are you, you a are nerd? you are too yeah and yeah. word crimes uh from from the last album i think word crimes is really one of his great great parodies 
original songs, and I'm going to have to change this on the fly because I need to include a song that we didn't talk much about later or earlier that I must include a clip of. So I'm going to put it on this list, which is Nature Trail to Hell, the final song from In 3D. Uh, Jeff, you're a, you're a Friday the 13th fan. I'm sure you love this I don't this like direction. this song. I was oh, actually really? wondering if you oh, would bring it no, up no, because I, I thought... I wanted to like it. I realized oh, I immediately it. it was a it was a horror parody, and I was just yes. like, "I'm not sold." Okay, here I am interrupting your final. Thought. No, that's a, that's okay. You'll you'll hear it again here as we drop the clip in. But I think Nature Trail to Hell is a is a wonderful piece and one of those final tracks for the fans, for the diehards. See severed heads that almost fall right in your lap. See that bloody hatchet coming right at you. gotta hear dare to be stupid you just you have to i think it's his most perfect pastiche it's his most perfect style parody it is so good it made mark mother's ball angry at him for the rest of his life <laughs> uh melanie from off the deep end is an outstanding track um everything you know is wrong and um and going i'm leaving off so many great songs uh skipper dan from uh, from Alpocalypse. By the way, you guys notice uh, we actually allowed ourselves each 10 songs mm -hmm. on this weird Al Yankovic episode, and we're still frustrated? Still frustrated. Yeah, it's a little surprising to me. I mean, I'm going to tell you, okay, so for the parody songs, well, okay, I'll start with my two albums. I'm going to start with Dare to be Stupid. Because uh, it was my childhood one. It was the one that I got back then. And, and, and it's one of these things where you're kind of coming to terms with your childhood as you do a show. That formed a lot of my humor. I mean, I got to give credit to Weird Al. Maybe I was afraid of him for a long time because of it. Because he formed my sense of humor. Him, Mystery Science Theater, Norm MacDonald, those three in quick succession are the core of what I find funny. Um you know, and you know, maybe like really black humor beyond that, Monty Python. Um, then the second one I'd say is Bad Hair Day, which has come up for all of us. It's just like the parodies are hilarious. The originals are hilarious. It ends with the greatest Christmas song that we did not cite on our greatest Christmas songs episode. I apologize. <laughs> so the parody songs, uh, five. This is, again, hard. King of Suede. We've talked about it. It's great. It was the one that I'm just I'm so glad I discovered it now. Yoda, again, talked about how much I love that. Um, Amish Paradise, I'm going to go with from Bad Hair Day. And the saga begins because one of these things that I, I've also come to terms with as I'm listening through Weird Al stuff is that I always tell myself I don't like Star Wars. I clearly am far too obsessed with Star Wars, <laughs> even if I hate it. I'm clearly conversing with every little beat and joke and note, and therefore I like parodies of it. 
Final one would be word crimes. The style parodies, Dare to be Stupid, you already ex- explained it. It's a beautiful song. One more minute. I think a lot of people would hang us if we didn't cite that. Some people would say it's his greatest one. The one that I think people don't appreciate nearly enough is Dog Eat Dog, <clears throat> which is the fantastic Talking Heads pastiche. That just got of, bumped off my list for Nature Trail to Hell. But which is yeah, very so close. Uh, yeah, exactly. But Dog Eat Dog is it, the thing is, it, not only is it a great Talking Heads song, it's a great song. It's a good song. <laughs> Even the lyrics. God, uh, David Byrne once wrote this thing. You know, in the box set where he says, like, people ask me to write songs like, you know, I used to on Fear of Music and I don't know how to do it anymore. <laughs> well, well, Weird Al, uh, the minute that David Byrne was forgetting how to do that, Weird Al knew how to do that. And he probably could have done that for the rest of his life if you'd let him. And I guess in between You Don't Love Me Anymore and Everything You Know Is Wrong, I'm going to have to go with Everything You Know Is Wrong as the original that is the power pop masterpiece. And I will end with Albuquerque because you know I, I've talked a lot about you know what is the nature of art what is the nature of kitsch where do they intersect what does it mean for a guy whose career is as strange as Weird Al Yankovic's all I really know at the end of the day is I hate sauerkraut hey that reminds me of another amusing anecdote this guy comes up to me on the street and he tells me he hasn't had a bite in three days well I knew what he meant but just to be funny I took a big bite out of his jugular vein and he's yelling and screaming and bleeding all over and I'm like hey come on don't you get it but he just keeps rolling around on the sidewalk bleeding and screaming ah 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 and I'm completely missing the irony of the whole situation man some people just can't take a joke you know anyway um, where was I kind of lost my train of thought well, okay, anyway, I, I know it's kind of a roundabout way of saying it, but I guess the whole point I'm trying to make here is I hate sauerkraut! That's all I'm really trying to say. And by the way, if one day you happen to wake up and find yourself in an existential quandary full of loathing and self-doubt and racked with a pain and isolation of your pitiful, meaningless existence, at least you can take a small bit of comfort in knowing that somewhere out there in this crazy old mixed-up universe of ours... There's still a little place Oh, by the way, bonus track, Hooked on Polkas. There it is. The Political Beats look at Weird Al Yankovic. We thank our guest on today's program, Andrew Heaton, comedian and political satirist. You might know him from Reason TV. He's the host of the Political Orphanage, a funny policy analysis show for people tired of tribalism. It's in his link on Twitter, at Mighty Heaton, and also linked at andrewheaton.tv. Jeff, this is this was one for me, but it got you on board too, so I'm happy in the end. This has uh, been one of the most enlightening episodes of Political Beats we have ever recorded. And I'm headed to see Al, as I mentioned, in August on this uh, on this tour of originals. And I'm very much, I, I to be honest, I didn't buy the tickets until I went through this discography, you know, in prepping, just, just because. So mm-hmm. Weird Al actually making some coin off of this show directly <laughs> through me, in addition to all the other people listening now who will go to the streaming services and listen to Weird Al and maybe sell some tickets too. Um, 
Jeff's on Twitter at Esoteric CD. My name is Scott Bertram on Twitter at Scott Bertram. Remember, Patreon to help us, support us, keep the show ad-free. We've got entry-level, mid-level, and our upper-level bestest friends. If you get all this stuff, higher audio quality, early access, exclusive content each month, remastered episodes and playlists and more, patreon.com slash political beats. Now we come to the part of the program in which we thank specifically some of our Patreon supporters. We say thank you to John Kroger, Jason Swick, Derek Wilchinski, Christian Schneider, also a former guest, Justin Castle, Nathan Anderson, Matthew Coates, Steve Carroll, Martin Hoyt, Timothy Cobb, and Sean McCown. Thank you and everyone else who helped support the program over at patreon.com slash political beats. Also subscribe to the feed for new episodes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn. You can also find it all right at nationalreview.com. Click on the podcast tab. We're on Facebook. Find us on Twitter at political underscore beats. This has been a presentation of National Review. This is Political Beats. Political Beats.